guys, this is Sue Young, and you're listening to the show that calls it Straight Down the Middle, The Whole Reppin' Show. And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it Right Down the Middle, The Whole Reppin' Show. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. It's the whole reffin show. My name is Darren Beasley. My name is Perry Smith. And we're stoked to have all of you dear listeners here with us today on this excellent episode of the whole reffin show. They're all excellent. They are. And that's why I'm saying, including this one. This is the latest excellent episode. It is. It is one of 45. This is the 45th excellent episode. Hey, you can't beat that with a stick. <laughs> All right. On today's episode, we've got quite a bit of wrestle news and wrestle views for all of yous. It's like doing a podcast with Enzo Amore. (laughs) You wish. I don't wish that. I do wish that. (laughs) I wish that. Um, Hey, fuck you. (laughs) I mean, in addition to you, like all three of us. Oh, thanks. Right. Because I'd get any words in at all between you, Enzo Amore, and me. On today's episode, we've got a lot to talk about. Like I said here, hashtag Russell News and Russell Views. We're going to start off with a little bit of information out of Global Force Wrestling. Then we're going to touch upon the latest Wrestle Circus event, which was their second event that was brought to you on and partially by Twitch. Then we're going to take a trip down to Hogtown. Fest Wrestling's Christmas in July was this past weekend. The whole Reffin show, Perry and myself... And a host of our friends were there. We were there. We were there for Fest. And we're going to tell you all about the biggest, baddest, most fun punk rock wrestling party in the world. And after that, we're also going to give you the results of Sunday night's WWE Battleground pay-per-view. The SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view that saw... Quite a bit of action, including a Punjabi prison match. So we've got a lot of different organizations, a lot of movers and shakers, and action that happened all across this great country of ours just over the last seven days. But before we get to each and every bit of it, I think we might need to take care of these headlines. Global Force Wrestling, formerly Impact Wrestling, has uh, seen quite a few departures as of late, including Magnus, Matt Morgan, and Shamed Helms, formerly the Hurricane, Shamed Helms, for WWFE, uh, you know the one. Uh, so yeah, quite a few people leaving, that, uh, I, I don't, I don't disagree with them. <laughs> I feel like GFW is, uh, it needs a little help, right? 
It does need a little help. It is um, a place that is in great flux at this moment and not just because they can't decide what the name of the show or the organization is mm -hmm. or what the mascot is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I haven't really... I don't know I've ever seen, other than like right around the time of the beginning of the Monopoly era when McMahon was trying to decide who to keep from the WCW and ECW and WWF rosters, I haven't seen this much coming and going this rapidly as what's happening with GFW. Shane Helms, I don't really know why he left the company, but I know that he's taken to social media to be sort of outspoken against GFW for whatever reason. You know he's tight with the Hardys, and the Hardys, of course, could not possibly be at greater odds uh, with their former company in Nashville slash Orlando than they are. So Shane may just be sticking up for them, you know, throwing his uh, lot in with the Hardy Boys. I don't know. But I know that Shane Helms is probably looking for a backstage job with WWE. Magnus, you know, I mean, other than the fact that his, uh, his wife and mother of his children, Mickey James, is a WWE employee, um, don't really know why he's left. Matt Morgan, who many fans may recall was the blueprint Matt Morgan, uh, strangely enough, in uh, OVW, WWE, and in GFW, when it was still TNA, uh, Matt Morgan has had a long history, both with TNA and the WWE. A lot of different gimmicks, a lot of different approaches to the character of Matt Morgan, although like a lot of those guys that came along in that era of WWE, it was just like a hoss factory coming out of OVW. Some of them stuck, like your Orton's, Lesnar, Batista, Cena's, and some of them did not, like Matt Morgan, Heidenreich, Mike Knox, you know, a bunch of big dudes that just didn't quite work. If you're up to me, Mike Knox would be champion, and he'd still be champion. Really? No, that's not accurate at all. Okay, all right. Well, Matt Morgan, apparently, the reason he is leaving GFW at this time is because the deal he had brokered with Jeff Jarrett to be, I guess, uh, you know, sort of a hometown kid working part-time at the GFW tapings um, is not, uh, it's just not going to work out. Matt Morgan signed his contract after discussions with Jeff Jarrett because Morgan's working a nine to five or something thereabouts. He's in, got a daytime job. He's doing all right. And, uh, you know, he's doing that in Orlando or the Orlando area. And as long as GFW was taping in Orlando and exclusively on the weekends, Hey, that was cool. Why not do it? You're seven feet tall. You've got a 15-year history in the business. Why not, uh, you know, instead of mowing the grass on Saturday or drinking beer by the pool, go make you some extra cash, potentially making yourself a television star or a wrestling superstar all over again. But not to be GFW, whether it's Jeff Jarrett's choice or whomever, Move tapings to weekdays, and Matt Morgan said, yeah, member, guess not, I'm out. So those three fellows, and I'm sure others are to follow as more and more wrestlers are sloughed off 
like a snake skin from this new <laughs> GFW, which seems to be in a constant uh, molting pattern. State if of you will. flux. A lot of changes. They want to see what works. And uh, nothing as of late. Nothing is sticking. Even when they had the Hardys, and let's face it, that was the best thing going in TNA. Um, even then, ratings were shaky. They were on shaky ground. Now Jeff Jarrett just thinks, I think if I get rid of that whole routine, and if I just bring in a bunch of buddies, uh, it's not working. It's just not working. <laughs> well, I, nothing's working. I mean, then you bring in Alberto El Patron, you make him your champion, and now thing, he's suspended yeah. indefinitely. Yeah. I mean, you don't you don't want a wrestling organization to fold up and go away, you know? I think all wrestlers need a place to go wrestle and, and to make money, you know, to, to pay for their lives and all. So, you know, GFW just needs to find its way, man. And unfortunately, under Jeff Jarrett's leadership, I don't think it's going to happen. Well, I mean, fair enough. I don't know if Jeff Jarrett's the one to blame, but... Watch me! <laughs> oh, I have. <laughs> All right. And uh, apparently I will again. All right, well. Moving on from GFW to the independent scene, which really GFW is sort of part of that independent scene. Oh. Uh, you know, the days of TNA being considered... Even just a step below WWE. I think those days are long gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's certainly, uh, you know, nothing bad. It's no bad reflection on the independent scene to say that GFW has been reduced to your level. Quick, just, uh, quickly, sure. uh, speaking of TNA, uh, I, had, I was holding a stack of video games today. And uh, one of the games was uh, TNA. Or, or Impact Wrestling or whatever for uh, PlayStation 2. I, I believe it was, was TNA yeah. Impact Wrestling. Correct, correct. Uh, for PlayStation 2. You know who's in the cover? Who is that? Kurt Angle, Sting, Booker T, Samoa Joe, and AJ Styles. Guess where all those people work now? Wow, that is crazy. Yep. Yeah, see, and there, obviously see, there was a time where TNA was never going to be the new WCW. No. And it was certainly never going to be an actual competitor mm -hmm. to Vince McMahon's Monopoly game, but it was pretty strong there for a while. They, they made a lot of efforts. They had a lot of big-time talent. You know, they were the flagship of the NWA. They had plenty of former NWA, WCW, WWF, WWE champions on their programming, and they had some really good product. They had some great wrestlers. They Back just, when Sting still wrestled. They and just, Kurt Angle refused to stop wrestling. And Booker T was there. And like I mean, like you said, all these former WCW champions were there. And it was just like, man, if you did this just right. But no. I really don't understand what they weren't doing right. How do you fuck that up? I don't, I How know. do you fuck that I up? Know. You have enough money to put out a product to have, you have your own, you know, your own time slot on television. You have this roster. You have this roster. How do you fuck that up? <laughs> How do you only go downhill? I know. Okay. And they were on Spike. Yeah. Which WWE had been. Oh man. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so 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 back to the indies. Okay, back, back to the indies. indies. Back to the indies with you, GFW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, but like I said, that is not to um, throw shade at GFW, nor is it to diminish the uh, extreme quality and talent that is abundant 
in uh, American independent wrestling right now. I was going to say my my transition was going to be, uh, but but now for a, a successful company, a, <laughs> a, a company that's uh, going on to do even better and better things, and that is Wrestle Circus. That's true. They are they are improving by the day. Their visibility and their notoriety is is climbing um, by the second. I, I know that people who had never heard of Russell Circus are now talking about it quite a bit because uh, visibility is everything. Yeah, man. It's a reverse John Cena. <laughs> it is. It's exactly what it is. You can see me. Russell Circus. On Twitch. Russell Circus held a show on July 22nd from their hometown of Austin, Texas. It was the Squared Ring Circus. And on this night, they had 10 big matches. They had a lot of familiar names, both to the Wrestle Circus faithful, as well as any fans of indie wrestling and pro wrestling at large. Folks like John Morrison, Leo Rush, actually in Leo Rush's final appearance with Wrestle Circus. He did a couple of those over the weekend. Colt Cabana, an indie favorite, indie darling, if you will. And uh, the Lucha Brothers which are Penta El Cerro Miedo, formerly known as Pentagon Jr. from Lucha Underground, and Ray Phoenix, who were the number one contenders to the Wrestle Circus Tag Team titles after their victory at the last Wrestle Circus show, Dive Hard with a Vengeance. Rapongi Vice, also at the show, taking on the Lucha Brothers. Rapongi. Rapongi. Rapongi Lights. Vice. Good to see that Rapongi Vice broke up, you know, during New Japan's G1 special in USA, and they still are together. Right, that's right, very, right. That's very important to do. Yeah, that's uh, a when you little break confusing. Up, don't. When you break up, don't, Darren. That's all when I'm you break up, don't. Don't. Somebody, uh, please tell my ex girlfriends uh, something along oh, those lines. Oh, <laughs> oh, Lordy Lou. We had a really what I think is tantamount to a double main event here. Um, although the women's match would actually be the last match of the night. But Shane Strickland, who is the ringmaster champion, therefore sort of the federation champion. It's the of crown Wrestle jewel of Wrestle Circus. That's right. There you go. Shane Strickland, who is carrying around quite a bit of jewels these days. He's also carrying around the top belt from Defy Wrestling out of the Pacific Northwest as well as Combat Zone Wrestling's top belt, the World Championship of CZW. He also has a singer-songwriter jewel and a fireman's carry. <laughs> Carrying lots of jewels. I mean, who can save your soul? I mean, <laughs> Shane Strickland? I don't know. Is it Sammy Callahan? Perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, very quickly. Some people thought that Jewel wrote Wild Horses, by the way. Wild Horses like Rolling Stones Wild Horses? Wild Horses like Rolling Stones Wild Horses. I didn't even know she did a cover of it. She did a cover of it. Much less did I know. And people were like, oh, I love that Jewel song. They're dead now. <laughs> <laughs> I killed them. Uh, okay, I was going to ask, should I Should I ask uh, how, they're, how it is that they're dead now? Nah. Okay, good. Shane Strickland, though, uh, leaving his CZW and Defy belts uh, sort of undefended on this night, defends his Ringmaster Championship against the worldwide desperado Sammy Callahan. Successful title defense, as Shane Strickland does retain that Ringmaster Championship. 
Uh, Sammy Callahan, however, uh, due to injuries sustained during this main event, was unable to make his match at Fest Wrestling's Christmas in July, which we'll get into a bit later on. Uh, but uh, Very unfortunate, both for Sammy, his health, and uh, all the fans in the Gainesville fans. that yeah, were man. really excited to see him. Yeah, no, no fault of his up. own. You know, injuries are going to happen. So I mean, We certainly know. wish the best for the worldwide Desperado. Yeah, ain't mad at you, Sammy. Ain't mad at you. The main event, though, was actually between uh, two women. Uh, it was between Rachel Ellering and Tessa Blanchard. And uh, very cool to have two ladies to, uh, you know, take that main event spot, you know. Very, uh, I mean, I, I want to say progressive, though. I mean, I, you're kind of seeing this more and more often these days. And and why not? You know, Rachel Ellering and Tessa Blanchard are both really great wrestlers. And it was a great match, so I'm happy it happened. Yeah, Rachel Ellering came into this match as the Lady of the Ring, which is the women's champion of Wrestle Circus. She's been the only one. She is the first and only until this night. No. This was a title for title match, and Tessa Blanchard, her opponent, was the sideshow champion. Tessa Blanchard defeats Rachel Ellering on this night in Austin and is now a double champion, the Lady of the Ring and the sideshow champion of Wrestle Circus. And uh, I'm very excited by this. I'm a huge fan. Tessa Blanchard fan. I, you know, I'm not saying rush her up to Monday Night Raw or anything. Hey, stay right there in Wrestle Circus. Right. Do your thing. I think you're an excellent wrestler, Tessa. And uh, you definitely deserve those two belts. I'm uh, anxious to see who could possibly take one or both of them off of you. And uh, interestingly enough, both of these women, before heading to Wrestle Circus, competed in the WWE's. May Young Classic that was taped the 13th and 14th of July earlier this month. We haven't really talked about it on the show because there's quite a bit of time before it even airs. Yeah, this won't air until the end of August, so we didn't want to start talking about it, maybe start giving away spoilers. We'll give you full coverage, of course, as the episodes start airing, so you just hold your horses, okay? Um, but uh, until the then, wild you can... horses, yeah. like, as Jewel might but, say. By Jewel, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jewel. Um, so yeah, if you want to see more of these uh, lovely ladies, these damn good wrestlers, damn fine wrestlers, uh, check out more Wrestle Circus. You're going to see more of Rachel Ellering and Tessa Blanchard. Uh, which in case, the next Wrestle Circus show will be on the 5th of August, the Cody Rhodes Summer Circus Show. And uh, that'll be available on Twitch. So uh, subscribe right. to Wrestle Circus, I guess. They want you to do, yes. Yeah, and Wrestle Circus is advertising that there are a certain set of possibilities that if the stars align, Cody Rhodes may actually be putting his Ring of Honor World Championship on the line that night against Scorpio Sky. Well, shall see. We right shall now. see. That's pretty big, though, for Russell Circus if the ROH Championship is defended on that show. It certainly is. Yep. Very cool. And uh, while we're in the world of indie wrestling, why not stay there? Let's talk about Fest Wrestling's latest show, Christmas in July. Last Sunday, July the 23rd, 2017, Fest Wrestling brought us Christmas in July. Halfway till real Christmas, halfway since real Christmas, 
in a hot, hot, balmy afternoon in North Florida, Gainesville, Florida, at the Eight Second Saloon Fest Wrestling Return to Action. And we were there. We were there. You, me, friends of the show. Friends of the show. Lots of friends of ours we brought along this time. Jared Hill. Friends slash listeners of the show, I must say. Absolutely. R.J. Martin. Yeah. And Ben Blanton. Hey, man. Ben Blanton, that you may also know as Papa Midnight or Mr. Benjo. Yeah. The uh, artist who lends his talents to the whole Rough and Show created our logo, as well as creating all of our alternate logos, especially... Uh, uh, well, especially all of them. Uh, okay, yeah, yes, especially all of them. There you go. Um, and you might have seen the uh, the one for Fest that we've had up for the last couple of weeks, and uh, in which Perry was portrayed as Teddy Stigma, right? And I was portrayed as the Golden Boy of Grabass, Effie. And um, hey, talking about friends of the show, Fest Wrestling is a card full of friends of the show. It really is, man. From Teddy Stigma and Effie to Sue Young. Rich Bocchini and, and Tony Weinbender, the, the promoter of Fest. And, exactly. I and mean, I, we, we keep meeting new people. And, and that's how about Holiday? I mean... No, Holiday. Uh, well, I guess we well, have to call her a friend of the show now. A frenemy of the show is what I called her. There you go. A frenemy of the show, which she appreciated, so... Well, it's better than a straight-out enemy. Straight-up enemy of the show. As yeah. as we mentioned uh, on Twitter, we're glad that she was not able to find us. Right. And she was looking. She, she told me looking. she was looking. Um, that's terrifying to think about. Uh, <laughs> what might she have done, Darren? I don't want to know. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a warm Gainesville day, and that's not Fest Wrestling's fault by any stretch. Uh, a, little, a little warm at old eight seconds. Um, they had the fans going, but there were a lot of uh, Flesh and Blood fans there, so a lot of body heat in that room. I was kind of hoping that since it was a Christmas theme, you know, there would be some like hot cocoa involved, but the thought of drinking hot cocoa oh, in, that, in that room would like, give me dry heaps. That, oh, oh, God. Oh, that would have been rough. That would have been a little rough. Yeah, um, it may have been Christmas theme, but let's not forget. This is July. Yeah. This is the Sunshine State. Yeah. Oh, this is Swampland. I mean, it's going to be hot and muggy. Gainesville, that's where the swamp is. That's right. Florida swamp Gators. Town. Yeah, man. Um,. But it's great. Uh, the whole place is decked out in half Christmas decorations, half like summer party decorations, which is kind of you don't really know what you're looking at. It's perfect. It's Christmas, but, in but July. It, it worked very, very well. I thought so. The, the place looks great, and it's eight seconds, which is just you know, of course that's where you have a wrestling match, right? Of course, a, a giant bar, yeah. a giant country western saloon type bar, and all the guests were getting. Uh... Receiving lays, they were as they walked in the door. They were there. Everybody got laid. And, sure, where uh, they promised you'll get laid. And there was uh, trash cans where all of the arriving fans could leave their weapons. Right for the main event of the evening, the mm-hmm. fans bring the party weapons match. They brought the party, and they certainly brought the weapons. So they brought the weapons for the party, and they're not not your traditional weapons. These aren't swords. And axes and maces or guns. Or puff daddies or uh, Nas. <laughs> and 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 you know, other other uh, big boy uh wasn't it big boy? I think it was big boy. Yeah. Or bad boy? Bad, bad boy, that's what it was. Bad boy, yeah, big yeah. boy, obviously. Big boy. 
for uh, a fellow Georgian, big boy, one half of Outcast. Of course, yes, big boy, B O I, Bad Boy Productions, which is Puff Daddy, right? And uh, he, you know, no, Puff Daddy was not there. He was he's waiting until next April so he can make another awkward appearance at WrestleMania. I think all he knows is awkward appearances. Uh, anywhere. Yeah, in 2017, anywhere Puff Daddy is, he's being awkward. Yeah. Because people don't know who he is anymore. Yeah, it's a little, <laughs> it's a little odd. But anyway, back to Fest. Um, obviously, uh, not a rap place. Uh, no. Very punk rock. Very, very punk rock. And the punk rockers came, and the wrestling fans came, and the people who were just interested in seeing what this Fest thing was all about came. So it's a big mixture of folk. Um, and on most of them were just faces that were recognized from most fest shows. And it was, it's always nice to see these people. Oh, and absolutely. Lots nice of to familiar talk to them. faces. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's, it's yeah, those of you the listeners of the show who came up and introduced yourselves. And yeah, yeah. A couple fans. Thank very, you very much. We very were, cool. It was uh, a real pleasure to meet you all. Yeah. Find us on Twitter so we can... Put a name to the face and all that stuff, man. Let it, let us know. Absolutely, but please don't hesitate to come up and speak at the shows, man. It, it's uh, it's fest family. Tony Weinbender will be the first one to tell you that it's and, family, man. You know, and beyond that, it's wrestling family. We're all we're all big kid wrestling nerds, <laughs> and uh, so you know we gotta we gotta stay turkey tight. We gotta be friends. Yeah, and and uh, we gotta thank Tony uh, very quickly for uh, putting up the whole reference show. That's right. Which ran throughout the show on the big screen. Very cool of him. Um, and yeah, I mean, talk about new listeners. If that didn't gain uh, us a, a batch of new listeners, I don't know what will. Right. Plus, so if but, you are yeah. happening to li- be listening right now, and this is your first episode of the whole Reffin show because you saw our ad yeah. at Fest Wrestling's Christmas in July, please uh, keep listening. Uh, we hope you enjoy. We're glad you looked us up, found us, downloaded. Hopefully you subscribed. And uh, shoot us a note saying that that's how you heard. Tony right. would love to hear. There, there, there's no discount we can offer if you say, hey, I, I, I saw your ad. No, no. It's but, just nice for you to say. Yeah, I mean, it'll make us feel good. It'll make Tony feel good. It'll make Fest feel good. It, it was it was nice to when we first came in and uh, we kind of were standing around waiting for the, the show to start. We're standing under the big screen, <laughs> and the the whole reference show ad pops up, and you know I was surprised, even though I should not have been surprised. I gave him the ad, made the ad, uh, but I'm wearing the whole reference show T-shirt underneath <laughs> it, and it's just like uh, I feel weird. Um, it's like Ronald McDonald standing under a McDonald's billboard or something like that it's by just, accident. Yeah, it's kind of like oh, look at me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that was kind of interesting. But again, thank you, Tony, for. Uh, uh, Getting the word out for our show, uh, and man, thank you for putting on a fucking killer show. As always. As always, and that's how the show begins, with Tony Weinbitter coming out to go ahead and, and say, Hey man, welcome to the party, we are Fest Wrestling, this is Christmas in July, and uh, hope you guys have a good time, we got a killer show for you, we got uh, we saw some cool videos though before the show actually began, we saw the... Um, uh, just like any concert or any wrestling event, Fest does it right. You're standing there, there's lots of mumbling, there's lots of this and that and what have you, and then boom, house lights drop. Yep. Video screen lights up, we get a incredible throwback to the 80s <laughs> with a Fat Boys and Beach Boys And the Boys Beach Boys doing up. Wipeout. Oh my god. 
I really felt like I was about five or six years old again uh, <laughs> when I actually saw the Beach Boys mm-hmm. uh, live around that time. And uh, I could not get enough of the Fat Boys either. Oh, wow. Definitely love the Fat Boys. What was that movie they made? They made a movie. And they were like, they, oh, God, they were like. I think they made several movies. I, I don't know. They made. They definitely made one where they were like, they worked at like a hospital or like uh, like an old folks home. Or were they good at their jobs? Home. I assume they were good at their jobs. <laughs> um, it was basically the three fat stooges. Oh, okay. Uh, that, in the 1980s. That sounds about right. Um, so that was interesting. But of course, we saw the Holodead promo. The, I think the original promo that she sent out. Yeah. Um, challenging Sue Young for that Fest championship. And it's still as great as it was when we first saw it. Uh, when it first hit social media. Um, and followed up by Effie, Effie's promo, which was great. Um, outstanding. Outstanding. In front of the show, Effie. You'll hear that a lot on this show. <laughs> um, so that's really good. And uh, yeah, so a little bit of uh, a little bit of backstory and all that. And the feuds that are going on. And we, we begin the show with two newcomers to Fest Wrestling. Uh, Cauliflower Brown and Omar Amir with Skinny Vinny. Omar Amir making his entrance first, looking like a million bucks. That dude looks like a wrestler. Absolutely. This guy has the upper body uh, of a Mr. Olympia. Yeah. He's got that V frame. He's absolutely in amazing shape. Got some nice, uh, what appears to be like gold embroidery on his trunks. He's got the... The jewelry, the sunglasses, the swag. The big gold necklace uh, he's wearing. Um, Skinny Vinny, his manager, is 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 dabbing his sweat with, with money. Yes. With bills. Did you see that? that yeah. Was, that oh, was yeah. Nice and, touch. and dusting off his boots as uh-huh. he climbed into the ring yeah. with money. Good stuff. Because that's how much money he has. He has so much money that he uses <laughs> money as tissue. Right, right. He disposes of money. Uh, so, yeah. Because that's... <laughs> oh, I love that. That's good. I love that. Cauliflower Brown. And Cauliflower Brown, this is our introduction to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he comes out kind of wearing uh, some something uh, in between uh, like a karate gi top and like an old school boxing top and uh, like a ring robe. And uh, his big mutton chops with his uh, sweat band around his forehead and he's literally carrying cauliflower, and he's eating it right out of the bunch. He's holding the big bunch and just biting into it. It's like a basketball size <laughs> cauliflower. Well, he he is cauliflower brown. No, it, it makes total sense, and that was not surprising at all. It's just it's funny. Cauliflower brown comes out of his ring robe and uh, has quite an impressive physique of his own. Yeah, these, this, both these guys look like legit wrestlers. Yeah, you know? Colli- not that should be surprising no, or anything like that, but like they are these wrestlers. guys are like built, muscly dudes. So it's like, okay, these are these wrestlers. yeah. Cauliflower has that sort of squatty build, like an amateur wrestler. Everything is is shortened and tightened and round, and uh, the kind of guy you don't want to get a hold of you because mm-hmm. you're not gonna be able to tear yourself a loose. I don't want any of these guys easily. to get a hold of me. Well, I don't know. There's a couple. No, I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Maybe some of the ladies. This is uh, a hard-hitting match from the very beginning. It is. A lot of power moves in this one. And, you know, as we just got through explaining, awkwardly as it was, um, <laughs> they are like big moves. So you do you do expect some like power moves out of these guys. And that's pretty much what it is. Just like this is a straight-up wrestling match with just 
big old power moves. Skinny Vinny is on the outside, you know, trash talking the the uh, fest crowd that's trash talking him. I feel bad for any manager on the outside because they have to deal with a lot Ooh, of a lot yeah. of the fest regulars. But Skinny Vinny, man, he was taking it and dishing it out. He was. He absolutely was. Uh, but of course, Skinny Vinny is—he's a manager, so he's going to try to, you know, do all the things to to interfere and interrupt the match and get the ref's attention. Well, I mean, he's trying to help out his client. He's trying to help out his client. That's what a good manager does. Um, but uh, Omar Amir actually—he uh, goes to the turnbuckle pad and tries to maybe finagle it so it kind of exposes that metal, so maybe he can use it. Did uh, he actually do it? He—he he does mess <laughs> it up a certain way. I—I th- I think Cauliflower gets him or. The ref eventually, he's over there, the ref's trying to fix the, the uh, turnbuckle pad back. And while he's doing it, uh, that's when Skinny Vinny takes the cauliflower, which Omar Amir, I believe, took a giant bite out of. Um, right. Uh, and he, he... There are there are several people eating directly off there of the are, raw right. cauliflower. Yeah, well, the ref's not looking. Uh, Skinny Vinny takes the cauliflower and tries to throw it to Omar, but actually... Uh, cauliflower grabs it. He destroys Omar with the cauliflower, which explodes into a zillion pieces. That was a nice visual. It was a nice visual. And then uh, Cauliflower uh, gets the pin. The referee you know, makes the count, and that's it. We have a winner, which is Cauliflower Brown winning his first uh, Fest Wrestling match. I will be excited to see uh, either or both of these gentlemen return at future Fest Wrestling. Absolutely. Shows. Actually, you know, very surprised that this is a singles match. I will I will say that because both guys are new to Fest, you know. Typically when you bring in new people, it seems like they get thrown into like a six man or, you know, some sort of like big match and it's always like, you know, the new guys will be okay because these other Fest favorites are around, so they're going to enjoy the match no matter what. So I think this one was kind of odd. Only just to kind of maybe in placement because it is the first match. Right. So people are kind of like, "Hey, you're not you're not Lucha Cruz. You're not Veda Scott. You know what I mean? Like right. we don't no, know these people, but that, it's still it's totally fair. It's still uh, a good match, though. It was, and the fact that the fest crowd is already so ramped up, uh, you know, that's not like they're the at fest. You're not going to encounter silence, no, or dead air, or or. Or disinterest, right? You know, you're never, you're never going to hear a boring chant at fest. Oh no! First no, of no. all, because nothing's boring, right? Second of all, because the fans are, <laughs> they're just into it, and furthermore, they're supportive. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it goes back to the the fest family thing. You know, it's it's not necessarily a family friendly atmosphere, but it is the fest family, right? And that it's a, sort of a we're all in it together. So this. This was a, hey, welcome to the family, Omar right, and Cauliflower. Right, right. Baptism by fire. But absolutely. Well, and that's kind of the thing, too. We've talked about this in the show many times, where it doesn't matter if you're a heel or face anymore, because people already know who their favorites are. They're going to cheer no matter what. Um, in this case, these guys came out, and they had to basically tell us who to cheer. Right. Because clearly Omar Amir is the heel. Clearly Cauliflower Brown is the face. So it's like, well, we have to go for Cauliflower because he's the good guy. Yes. Sure. Whereas any any other fest match, you know, you're going to, you already have your favorite. You I, already know who you love. Absolutely. And that is yet another uh, testament to the abilities of these two gentlemen that they came out and they did that. They have such an understanding of their duty yeah. to uh, a wrestling audience and their jobs as professional wrestlers they have to you know they have an understanding absolutely wrestling may be different but mm, 
and if you're if you're brand new, mm-hmm. you got to go back to what works. You got to tell the story. You got to tell that this story. story. We don't know, right? So we have you, you have to tell us this new story. Yeah. So good for them. Uh, yet just yet another layer of uh, uh, just another layer of praise that uh, we can put on this match and these two individuals. Yeah, good match, good wrestlers. Hope to see them back again. Uh, the next match involves someone that we've seen quite a bit at uh, Fest Wrestling. That is Wolf Taylor. The dastardly Awaken. Wolf Taylor. Of Awaken. He takes on a newcomer to Fest Wrestling, Darby Allen. Darby Allen, as we mentioned on our quick preview segment on last week's episode, was scheduled to wrestle at Bring Your Mom, but he was suffering from a terrible arm injury that uh, saw his arm in uh, a quite a contraption um i don't know if there was surgery involved pins or what have you but you know like i said i I think i called him bionic commando at one point but darby allen (laughs) free of all medical accoutrement on this night but with wicked entrance gear he he looked like the invisible man he had like the bandage wrapped around his face then the sunglasses and the, the the fedora with the hood over it a spooky spooky entrance he should come out to Spooky by the Classic Fours. <laughs> he should. I guess maybe he shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, but Spooky, definitely. Spooky was Darby Allen on this night, and uh, there's a there's a there is a spookiness. I'm gonna just keep saying that word. Apparently, um, he does sound like is, kind of a dead wrestler kind of a thing. It's going. spooky, right? There's that word again, it, Darren. It is. <laughs> I swear he knows other adjectives, folks. I, I don't. Swear. I don't. Oh, okay. That's the only one. <laughs> How was your oh, day, Darren? Pizza, spooky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, so Darby Allen is, uh, okay, here we go. I'm going to try out another adjective here. Please. He is impressive. Hey. He is excessive. Mm-hmm. And he is, uh, high flying. He's death defying. And. Now you're just showing off with your <laughs> list of adjectives. <laughs> um, I pulled out my list of adjectives. Oh, nice. Um, so I'm just reading really. Just cheat sheet of adjectives. <laughs> Darby Allen versus Wolf Taylor is a good matchup. It is a good match, and it's nice that, uh, and and this I'll say uh, later on as well when when Vandal fights. But typically, when the Awaken guys, you know, with the Awaken guys, they're just kind of Leon Scott's lackeys in Awaken. Like they don't really have their own like matches, and and you know they're not ever on their own basically. Like it's it's like all of Awaken does this one thing, you know. So it's cool for Wolf Taylor cannot have his own match, have a singles match, you know, against Darby Allen. And Wolf Taylor, man, he's he's upped his his looks game quite a bit. He's got like kind of a, a, a interesting haircut now. It looks a bit more Mad Maxy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. To, to kind of look more like Leon Scott, um, maybe. But also, he's got the spikes on his jacket now, and like so, he's he's accessorizing, Dude, man. And the mask, Did yeah. You catch the the entrance mask, yeah, absolutely. It's like I don't know if it's rubber or if it's metal, but it's like a. It's a wolf mask. Yeah. It literally now comes out looking like a like punk rock wolf. I mean, he is wolf. Right. He is wolf. And he is punk rock, so and, uh, it makes sense. But like, yeah, that's a wicked ass mask. And then that sort of like, uh, on the back of his vest, the the like sloppy cartoon graffiti 
uh, like wolf face with X's for the eyes. Mm-hmm. It it's really well done. I mean, the the aesthetic on all the members of Awaken is is tight. They've upped their game for sure. Um, and the match is good. It's a solid match with Wolf Taylor and Darby Allen. They here. both look really good. They both look really good. Um, and this this match feels more fest. It um, does just it because does, it's. I mean, because Wolf Taylor again has been at most shows, so are, you're like, okay, now it's a fest show kind of a thing because uh, you recognize Wolf Taylor. Um, well, not only that, but Leon Scott comes uh, and right, Bandle, but yeah. with the rest of Awakens, Awakens all there too. So yeah. then you get to see uh, all of the Fest family's middle fingers all at one time. Oh yeah, absolutely. St- uh, stuck in uh, Leon Scott's face, and their fourth man, uh, who's got a, a, a basically a bag over his head. Um, or like a pillowcase or something over its head. You know what that was? Huh? Spooky. Oh, there it is. Yeah. You think everything's spooky, Darren. <laughs> so in the absence of Donovan Danhausen, right, who's original no longer, member of Awaken, no longer around, there was this fella, a, uh, a black denim besuited fella with a sack over his head looking mm-hmm. like, what was that movie, The Strangers? Yes. A terrifying, terrifying movie with Liv Tyler, right? Yes. That's what this reminded me of. Okay. And he's carrying a sign that says, well, it originally said the end is near, but near has been spray painted over, and now it says the end is here. Oh. And, uh, you know, you know, it's kind of spooky. The other side was, yes. The other side said awake. But, Which I thought, like, you know, they left no room for that in. <laughs> <laughs> right. You, you had one job, you guys. Uh, but no, it was all awesome. All looks really cool. But to the match uh, at hand, like I said, it was a very good match. Darby Allen impressed the shit out of me. Go ahead and say it. Go ahead and take it. I'm giving it to you. Go for it. Spooky? <laughs> yes. And oh, okay. also, the spot of spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I- I'm going to go ahead and say Darby Allen. The bad thing about this match going on so soon is what it. it I think the spot of the night kind of happens during this match. Because Darby Allen. Um, for those who don't know about, you know, the Fest 8 Seconds setup, the ring, the match has these giant, uh, and these are uh, uh, load-bearing pillars, They're probably holding the roof up. Right. Um, so you can't, Because you know, it's a very large open room for bands, for line dancing. Absolutely. And, <laughs> line and dancing. for professional wrestling. And professional wrestling, of course. Um, but anyway, Darby Allen, uh, basically like some sort of parkour superstar uh, he scales the pillar the column all the way to the top as far as he can go which is what like realistically it's 20 feet 25 yeah, feet at least and uh just kind of falls backwards into all of awaken on the outside uh, he uh, i mean you, you might call it a trust fall yeah you might call it a dead roach yeah uh but it is basically he climbed a pillar to the ceiling and let go. Yeah. It was spooky. <laughs> no! No! It was spooky to watch. Um, <laughs> yes, it was. Because I was in fear for the young man's life. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he apparently survived it. And like I said, his uh, he's very acrobatic, very limber. Uh, nibble little minx at me. Um, and uh, just awesome. Match More Ghostbusters? More Ghostbusters. Uh, always Ghostbusters. Um, but ultimately, uh, Darby Allen hits his finisher on Wolf Taylor, which is the coffin drop, uh, where he gets in the top rope, basically falls backwards, typically with his arms crossed, like you know a, a, a dead body would would have. But I think he actually flipped off. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure I saw middle fingers when he fell backwards. That I time. don't doubt that for a second. Yeah. If there was one defining characteristic of this night, 
it was the extended middle finger yeah. of uh, everyone. It's all a lot of the middle fingers. In the ring, outside the ring, during a match, before the match, after the match. The show, uh, everybody was getting their anger out. I guess maybe because it was so hot. <laughs> uh, that's all I can think of. It was uh, akin to road rage. Well, this show was hot. Absolutely. Actually, the fans were flicking each other off at one point. Yeah, there, was there some... were two of the more vocal fans. That's way of saying it. And, uh, well, I'm going to be nice to these fellas. No, they're nice. They're um, fans of the fest wrestling. Yeah, well, you know. There's something all right. And uh, they, uh, wow. I was standing in between them, as a matter of fact. <laughs> it was it was it was starting to pull focus. If you don't know focus. who you are yet, yeah. now you know who you are. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was starting to pull focus because everyone's kind of looking at this happen. <laughs> These right. fans are going right. at it. But hey, it, it turned out okay. But not for Wolf Taylor, who actually uh, got pinned after that coffin drop. So the one, two, three on Wolf Taylor. Darby Allen wins his debut match at Best Wrestling, and hey, Darby Awaken loses. Hey, Darby, you did it. That's right. Uh, moving on, some familiar faces, some more familiar faces, I should say, as Caleb Conley and Zane Riley of Revolt team up with Man Scout Jake Manning. Yeah, that's Revolt with an exclamation point. Yeah, uh, that's right. Um, they are revolting. Uh, they are. Well, they've always been revolting. Now they're rebelling. Nice, very nice. Man Scout Jake Manning. I've seen this guy all over the internet, all over social media. For quite some time now, this guy is a hot talent on the independent wrestling scene. Where else do hot talents want to come? Best wrestling. And so here he is, teamed up with Caleb Conley and Zane Riley of Revolt! Exclamation point. As one team, this is the first multi-person match. It's a six-man tag. And those three guys will be taking on Fest favorite. Fest's favorite... Tasmanian Devil, if you will. Beastly. He is beastly. That is, I mean, he is beastly. There's an adjective. He is. And a noun. Yeah. Actually, beastly. I guess that would be an adverb because of L-Y. Okay. I don't know. Okay, professor. It is. Okay. Well, what's, that, what's not to love about beastly, first and foremost? Well. Beastly. If you are not into those of a hirsute persuasion. Okay. Then maybe. That's not to like. But everyone else... Well, Beastly comes out to Metallica, so God bless that man. Um, <laughs> a little bit of a metal militia off of Metallica's Kill 'Em All, which I appreciate. Um, so that's very cool. He's actually teaming up with Colt Cabana. Uh, everyone knows Colt Cabana. Again, I've heard he's got a some sort of wrestling uh, audio show. I don't. Uh, it's I called don't, a podcast. I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so Colt Cabana. Everyone knows him. ROH, multiple. Uh, Big Indies, Skull Command has been a part of, and his some sort of program, uh, and they <laughs> and they they actually join uh, Marion Fontaine. Marion Fontaine has got that very uh, a pugilist look, yeah, like yeah, an old, no. like an old timey boxer. Yeah, I, I was trying to put my finger on it. Like I don't want to immediately do the guy a disservice, and I'm by saying this, I, I'm doing it by saying the vaudevillains. But I, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm adding the disclaimer here. Painting the, the picture, painting the picture for the people. That for those of you who may be not familiar with Marianne Fontaine, but are familiar with more of mainstream wrestling over the last four or five years, you had the Vaude Villains, uh, specifically Simon Gotch and what he was kind of doing in NXT and for a you know for a cup of coffee in uh, the WWE, 
there's that, you know. There's for a cup of coffee, and you know, there's that. There's that part. There's there's that aspect for Marion Fontaine, but it's a little bit different because it's also, and I don't know if this is intentional, but there's something even, uh, uh, I don't know, less dandy and more frightening. Um, even though he's not frightening, he's a, a lovely gentleman outside the ring and. He uh, was nothing but smiles uh, for the crowd here. Uh, obviously, working a babyface for show. A lot of personality, a lot of jokes during the match. But there's something baseball about him that I can't put my finger on. I can see that. First of all, his his I think his trunks, his, his long trunks, his pants, looked like baseball pants. They they didn't look like wrestling trunks. They had mm-hmm. the, the built-in belt. They had a certain thickness that kept it from looking quite like spandex. Tights. Kind of like an old-timey baseball spandex. uniform minus the jersey, minus right, the shirt right. part. And then, you know, you. he had some, like, knee socks with stripes I can on. dig that. But also, he's got, like, the the, the typical, like, uh, I'm going to say combed over, I guess kind of what it is, though. Combed over haircut. And he's got the... Well, it's not a comb over. He's not covering up a ball spot. But it's combed over. It is. I didn't it say is. combed yeah, over. I remember that. But he's got the mustache, too, um, which him and Manscout. You know, if you didn't know better, you might be like, which one is which one? <laughs> um, but uh, also Marion's got kind of the, he's, he is a bit more on the pale side, maybe. And, I mean, he really, he looks the part of whatever that is. And a, he looks that part. A leaner build, yeah. uh, a very erect posture. Which doesn't hinder him. He can still go. Oh, absolutely. He, he still has some strength to him. So oh, yeah. I didn't works. say weak. <laughs> by you said, don't, he was I very did. nice to us. You're uh, ruining this. Uh, no, Marion Fontaine has a, a great look, and uh, it evokes a lot of different thoughts, I will right. say that. Uh, so anyway, these six men go at it, and uh, wow, it's it's a lot to look at. I mean, this is not, uh, th- this isn't even the match that will be coined the Fest Wrestling Clusterfuck. Right. That's, and that's... yet, already, there's a lot to look at. Revolt is a lot to look at. Mm-hmm. Jake Manning and his entire shtick, his entire being, that that character is brilliant. Love it because it's, it's a lot to look at. Comes out dressed up as a Boy Scout, I guess Boy Scout leader because he's he is a man, well, not, he's a, not man a boy. Scout. It guess yeah, as a, as a man scout, including he has the, the I guess the 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 handbook, the, yeah, the scouting scout manual, yeah. And uh, the referee goes to check him, and he basically you can't hear him, but you get the idea that he's saying like he will not cheat. You don't have to check him. Scouts honor. He does a <laughs> scouts honor uh, hand salute, um, and then throughout the match, like the referee is like, you know, what are you doing? And and he's like, no, 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 scouts honor. Like, like, <laughs> basically, a cheating boy scout, which that's brilliant, by the way. So I, I got a lot of a lot of credit to Man Scout Jake Manning. That's 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 very good. Yeah, and I mean he, he's dirty and 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 healing it up, but nothing compared to Zane Riley. Man, like there was some pretty nasty heel action here. There's a lot of bad guys on this card on this night, but Zane Riley was downright filthy. He's mean. I mean, man. if I saw him do the uh, like. Uh, uh, oh yeah, the uh, well, what was it called? I, well, the uh, I had a friend. Where, where, where you put your fingers up like a cigarette? Only you're not smoking. Your tongue is in between. Yeah, two I, fingers. Used to, I had a friend who used to refer to that as eating at the Y. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, well, yeah, like Saint Riley's doing that to like very young women and very old women right. both, and I'm like. 
I don't, I don't think that they're, uh, I don't think they're going to appreciate that insane. <laughs> um, nevertheless, Zane is, uh, for, and he's a big guy. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. He's like our size pretty much. And, uh, he can move. He can, he can motivate and matriculate that booty across the ring. And, uh, a lot of matriculation. Pretty devastating when that guy comes and hits you with a cannonball. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the corner. And Caleb Conley, uh, very quick on his feet as well. We saw him uh, fight against Heidi Lovelace on uh, in Pickle in the Tree, our first fest show. So we know Caleb Conley is a, a fantastic wrestler. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the whole match is very good. I mean, as, as odd as all the grouping is, because it is very odd. It um, is. Colcabana and Beastly, you know, <laughs> that, like, that alone's where's like... Where's the common denominator? What's happening there here? There isn't one? Okay. Yeah, exactly. They're um, wrestlers? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, nonetheless, it, it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag match because you, you look at this and you don't know what you're getting, but you're getting a good match, that's for sure. Yeah, at one point, though, the, the action it really becomes a show. And, and, and I say that in the very best way. Like, uh, Manning and Fontaine get a hold of one another's mustaches. And Zane Riley and Beastly come to break that up. Which results in Riley and Beastly grabbing hold of one another's beards. <laughs> which then Manning and Fontaine have to break up. Right. Which then sees them all out of loggerheads and making a, a square in the ring. And then... Beard grab, beard grab, mustache grab, mustache grab. So now all four of them are doing it, which of course brings in Conley and Cabana, who break that up. And then it's, you know, three on three, and then we get some crazy three on three action. And uh, just the kind of stuff that just leaves you standing there with your mouth open, and when it finishes, you just applaud the hell out of it. I always appreciate that. Um, that that's, that's worth discussing very quickly sure how how many spots can be involved in a match to make it interesting um some matches like the wrestling isn't great i'm not saying this is that match but i'm just you know sometimes the wrestling is not great but they're just such great like entertaining spots it doesn't even matter this match had both this match had great wrestling and very entertaining spots um so i i again I don't know if all the all the stuff is discussed backstage. Like, hey, we'll do this. Hey, you have, you have a mustache. I have a mustache. Play on that. Or if things are just improvised. At one point, uh, Cabana does grab Beastly from the outside and brings him in to rub, uh, I believe it's Zane Riley's face into Beastly's hairy chest to break a submission move that I think Marion Fontaine's in at the time, if I remember correctly, but I know that was improvised. Like, you could tell, I could see Cabana's wheels moving in his head. <laughs> right. And he just did that, you know. Um, so, I mean, this match is just full of spots like that, and once Cabana's in at the end, that's kind of where it, where it goes until the end. Um, Cabana comes in, he rolls the forearms for a bionic elbow uh, on uh, Caleb Conley, but instead, uh, I believe, like, uh, Zane Riley comes in, he gives him the bionic elbow, Rolls it again for Caleb Conley. Here comes Man Scout Jake Manning. Hits him with a bionic elbow. Rolls it up again. Caleb Conley kind of like flips out of the way. Rolls it up again and then finally delivers a bionic elbow to uh, Caleb Conley. Very satisfying. Oh, very, very entertaining and satisfying. 
and Cabana puts uh, Caleb Conley in a submission hold. Beastly jumps in, throws someone in a submission hold. Fontaine jumps in and grabs someone, puts them in a submission hold. So triple submission. And yeah, Caleb Conley taps, and that's it. The faces go over on the heels. You know, justice is served. And in conclusion regarding this match, let me just say, uh, on paper, as well as at a glance even, of the match itself... This is what uh, a naysayer, or maybe someone who is particularly old school, uh, this is exactly the kind of match you would look at and say, oh, this is the comedy match. This is comedy wrestling. This is blah, 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 blah. It said, you know, sort of while looking down their nose and being as condescending as hell. Uh, If this is the comedy match then let me just say, ain't nothing funny about Fest Wrestling. Yeah. Because, yes, you have characters who have humor about, well, just humor from the top down. I mean, a man scout, yeah, that's that's pretty funny. That's comical. That, that is comical in its very nature. Uh, beastly, you know. It may not be like knee-slapping hilarious, but there's nothing dead serious about uh, a man who is more animal than man. Cole Cabana, historically, you know, is uh, some comic relief. But this is no comedy match. You know, like you said earlier, good wrestling, excellent psychology, clever, very well thought out, and then well executed spots. Uh, Nothing funny here. It's not a comedy match. This is quality professional wrestling. And uh, I just wanted to throw that out there because, like I said, even though we didn't we didn't call it that, this is the kind of thing you you would hear somebody say, "Oh, this comedy match," and they say that almost in a dismissive fashion. So I would never want to group this in that type of category. no. Every every match can't be Flair Steamboat. If every match were Flair Steamboat, wrestling would be boring. Exactly because right. every match doesn't need, or to you be. wouldn't give a shit about Flair Steamboat if everything was that because it would not be exceptional. So you need different. Kinds. Different strokes, different folks. Come on, people. Different strokes to move the world. But next, we do have the match that Kid Cadet tells us is the Fest Wrestling Clusterfuck. <laughs> this is the nine person match, three teams of three. And uh, we'll just go ahead and say it. If there is supposed to be some sort of uh, tag format, it it dis- disappears immediately. Yeah. Uh, this is nine people fighting with two very, very involved managers. Desmond Xavier, who is in fact making his Fest Wrestling debut, teams up with Jason Cade and Veda Scott, collectively known as Pop Culture, to take on the team known as Tech, three equally charming heterosexuals, those men being Mike Monroe, Trevor Reed, and Jim Sherbear, their manager. They team up with Zicky Dice, the man that in fest wrestling circles was known as the one who nearly burned off the face of Effie nearly a year ago, shooting a wicked fireball into the face of the feminist icon. And the last team in this match is the Ugly Ducklings, after a hugely successful Fest debut, which they garnered a victory and a lot of new fans, quite a new fan following, a bunch of quackers, if you ask me, uh, at Bring Your Mom, they've come home to roost and 
they brought their homeboy, Jonathan Cruz. So it's Lance Lude and Rob Kiljoy with Coach Mikey going so far as to put Cruz in Ugly Duckling's tights. Right. Cruz comes out originally <laughs> in his normal wrestling gear. Um, typically, Cruz is with uh, Rios of uh, Team Lucha. Go! Lucha, 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 Lucha. Which we love, and people start booing because they want to hear the song. <laughs> and Coach Maki's like, no, no, stop booing. It's going to be okay. Give us a second. And uh, and like what probably was like 10, maybe 10 seconds, uh, Cruz comes out wearing full Ugly <laughs> Ducklings attire. The same tights that uh, Killjoy and Lude are wearing. And even the, the duckling mask, you know, which is crazy looking. Um, so it's great. So Jonathan Cruz duckling for a day. And it worked out just fine. Um, and this match is total insanity. It is. It is total insanity. It is bodies flying. There's bodies being tossed. Bodies being splatted on a very hard wood floor. They're at eight seconds. I mean, it's the type of thing you're meant to line dance on to, to do the boot scooting boogie, <laughs> not to do the flat back bump from 20 feet up. Let's be honest. No one's meant to do the boot scooting boogie, Darren. Um, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you there. Yeah. You're right. Okay. Uh, well, if you're not supposed to do that, you're definitely not supposed to just like leap you're off. You're not supposed to, you know, if you're Jason Cade, throw Veda Scott into everyone who's on the outside, including all of uh, the Ugly Ducklings. Well, the and number Mike one Monroe. reason you're not supposed to do that is because she is your friend and tag team partner. No, man. She is your, your weapon. You wield her. I, I Exactly. Yes. She is your missile volley. We, and, uh, I referred to Veda Scott on the last review for Bring Your Mom as she's a wrecking ball. Because she is someone that Cade kind of throws at people. <laughs> she took so much fucking punishment from Shane Strickland. It was insane. Taking that Death Valley driver on the outside apron. Oh, man. Uh, taking that, uh, I forget what he what Chantrickland calls it, but it's a coup de grace, basically. Um, on the, uh, man, like it was like, stop hurting Veda. Like, you're, you're hurting me. Um, yeah, she is a tough son of a bitch. Yeah. The interesting thing about pop culture, uh, again, Jason Cade and Veda Scott, is it, I feel like uh, it, it's it's a very interesting dynamic because it is a guy and a girl. Because it's almost like Jason Cade is such a gentleman, he'd rather Veda get offense in instead of he get offense right. in. Um, so typically a lot of it is alley-oop to Veda. Right, it's kind of cute. No, it is, because it's almost like big brother, little sister kind of thing going, um, which is very cool. But that's why it's interesting to me, because... But at the same time, he does sort of treat her like a weaponized yo-yo. He does, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, who's using who here? <laughs> right. um, I foresee a pop culture feud like, no! way down the road no! one day. I would just love it. Uh, that, be, would be, that probably would be pretty cool. As great. much as I like seeing them together, it'd be a really cool feud, because it's... I really it's do sister love sister versus together, brother, but I like I like what you're saying. Yeah. Anyway, um, but anyway, it's it's man, it, it is crazy as you said. It's no tag format, so there's people flying everywhere. Pop culture and Desmond Xavier are working really really well together. They all three hit kicks in the ducklings. Ducklings return volley with kicks of their own, um, and Desmond Xavier and, and and Cruz are on the inside, kind of trading blows and. They're kind of match for match, like nothing's really going on because they can't seem to like like get one over on the other for a long period of time. 
Um, and it's just, it's, God, it's craziness. And throwing Tech and Zicky Dice, and it's, it is really insane. There's way too much. Uh, Mike Monroe's up on the top rope. He decides he doesn't want to jump off. Um, so Desmond Xavier and Jonathan Cruz kind of team up briefly, and they both uh, slam him from the top rope, which is great. Kind of a Ric Flair moment. Poor Ric Flair went to the top rope and never quite made it down uh, without someone's help. Um, and until such time as these matches make their way onto YouTube, you can actually find that spot on our Twitter. Yeah, check out our social media. It's full of pictures from the show. It's full of videos from the show. And can you can see, see I, that. I'll see that. if I can figure out how to make a GIF and make some GIFs from the show, but, but you can see that spot. You can see that spot. Um, but it's really great stuff, and the Ducklings and Cruz working together is kind of, it's kind of the most interesting part of it, I think, because... Cruz has to adapt to the duckling style. And he does so. He does so, absolutely. Because, I mean, not only do you have Coach Mikey, you know, creating a fuss and being Coach Mikey, and he has, has that larger-than-life personality, um, Killjoy typically gives the leapfrog to Lude to kind of launch Lude into a, the corner turnbuckle where all his victims are waiting. And there is a pile of bodies stacked up in the corner. Uh, Killjoy hits the, uh, the, the leapfrog on Lude, who flies into the people, and then he hits the leapfrog on Cruz, you know, so it's it's always cool seeing wrestlers who know each other so well kind of adapt moves when they have to work together like right. that. Kind of, you know, kind of harkens back to the uh, NXT TakeOver where yes. together uh, the Revival and DIY kind of team up against Authors of Pain. And kind of seeing, like, them do each other's moves together was very, like, well, they know each other so well, of course they know this is what you do. Um, so just the synchronization was very, very cool with Ducklings and Cruz, for sure. At one point, uh, Trevor Reed goes up to the top rope, and Lance Lude follows him up. And it becomes clear that Lance Lude is going to try and suplex Trevor Reed off of the top rope onto a pile of people outside. Well, first of all, my whole life professional wrestling has teased me with a suplex from the inside of the ring to the outside. And in literally thousands of teases, I think I've seen that actually happen maybe three times. <laughs> uh, and one of which I believe actually in Japan, unfortunately resulted in uh, someone being paralyzed. Yeah. Cause that's really dangerous. Exactly. So, the, the part of me that desperately wanted to see it when I was 10 and when I was 20, you know, now that I'm in my 30s, you know, I don't want to see that any more than I want to see a Taipei broken glass tape fist death match. You know, you, you start to think uh, about somebody's overall health and well-being. Right. Nevertheless, I get to see it from three feet away on this night because Lance Lude takes Trevor Reed and absolute straight up superplexes him off of the top rope out of the ring onto a pile of people sending it into uh, a just catastrophe. Yeah. This whole match is just full of spots. Between that, uh, Veda Scott decides to go to Suplex City and starts just German suplexing everybody. How cool is that? Very, very cool. What's great is she she does she goes for a German suplex release on her own teammate, 
Desmond Xavier. <laughs> That's right. Desmond Xavier, the very, very nimble, uh, nimble little minx, um, <laughs> uh, able to basically roll and catch himself and land on his feet. And it's kind of like, what are you doing about your team? So Veda, she's like, whoops, sorry. Got caught up in the moment. Um, and uh, it's just really, really cool. Strangely enough, the match ends with uh, even more warm bodies who are not involved in the match getting uh, involved, including the Gymnasty Boys, who are uh, Timmy Lou Retton and White Mike. They come in and they cost the Ducklings the match. Timmy Lou Retton actually uh, sets up two folding chairs, a door uh, in between the two chairs, puts one of the poor Ducklings on the door, and jumps on that top rope and does a shooting star press onto him, which is just a crushing. flawless, yeah, flawless shooting star. We press. talk about how agile Timmy Lou Retton is, uh, de- deceptively agile Timmy Lou Retton is on the uh, Bringer Mom review, but he he still is. Uh, <laughs> and I so mean, that he happens. It, he hit it perfectly. He did. That happens. Pop culture takes that chance to go ahead and claim the victory. And they get the pinfall on the Ducklings, and they win the match. Pop Culture, Desmond Xavier win. And it's kind of funny because I, I figured Pop Culture was due for a victory at this point. You know, they they typically come up short, you know, just how it is. But um, I was hoping they wouldn't win by this. They wouldn't win by these horrible means. But <laughs> right. whatever. I guess they're, they kind of toe the line between face and heel because the crowd loves them. But they were they were very quick to just kind of take this victory. Like, well, sucks to be them. Pinfall. Uh, I guess they were. Uh, yeah, I saw Veda apologizing profusely to the Ducks. Oh, that's afterward. Cool. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, I mean, we had to. Why? Why not? We right. should get to win the match, and we can't help it. We didn't bring the Gymnasty Boys to do this. <laughs> so I guess pop culture ever the opportunists, and they they take the win here. Uh, after that, we actually have a intermission where the band Pyre plays for a while. And if you're a fan of Fest Wrestling, you know that intermission means loud music. Loud music. That's right. Fest Wrestling, born out of Gainesville, Florida's punk scene and the mind and heart and will of Tony Weinbender's The Fest. The Punk Rock Indie Rock Music Festival held every year for the last 16 years in Gainesville. So Punk Rock is going to be tied up in this package. And Punk Rock is always going to be prominently on display at Fest Wrestling. Just like Fest Wrestling used to be prominently on display at The Fest. Mm-hmm. And now the uh, the cohabitation, the... the uh, well, 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 the symbiosis, if you will, uh, of Fest and Fest Wrestling is uh, alive and well. And Pyre blows the doors off of eight seconds. I can guarantee you this is not the kind of music you're going to hear at eight seconds uh, every other night of the week. This ain't your mama's music, unless your mama listens to punk rock. It's her music then. Right, and uh, you're not line dancing. You're, <laughs> not you are scooting not, boogieing. Yeah. yeah. You're not. But you you may be headbanging. You may. In fact, Beastly comes from the back and joins a couple of the more traditional looking old school headbangers that were in attendance at this show who were up front and like literally doing the like, I'm, I'm stirring uh, a cake batter with my incredibly long dark hair. I just had an image bang. of like. 
cake with a bunch of hair in it. Well, a bunch of beastly hair in it. A bunch, <laughs> and uh, and beastly joins right in with them doing that, and uh, it's a pretty pretty good visual. Right. It's still just it's not like oh it's beastly in like a t shirt and jeans. Nope. Still just in his trunks. But also it's good to remind you that, okay, now you're watching you're watching a punk band play at a wrestling show. But don't forget it's a wrestling show and here's Beastly. <laughs> right. Kind of the same way uh, the Randy Savages play at Bring Your Mom. And then here comes here comes Awaken to stop them from playing. Right. So it's like, because you're not at a punk show, you're at a wrestling show. And guess what? Hashtag if wrestling were real, this is the kind of shit that happens. Yeah, absolutely. And you go in, and that's another beautiful thing about Fest is that suspension of disbelief man you walk in the door of eight seconds and you are in tony weinbender's world you are in the fest family's world you're in this world of punk rock wrestling and it's a whole lot of fun and they all live together in harmony and punk rock harmony after the intermission we go right back to the action and boy do we where the governor martin stone takes on mr 450 450 has been absent from the last uh, few shows due to a leg injury, but as we said, uh, got the operation, looks better than ever, and he's definitely on top of his game. Uh, Governor Martin Stone, we've been seeing a lot of at house shows for NXT, as well as some television on NXTs. He's currently feuding with Oni Lorcan. Um, and uh, he's tagging with Oni Lorcan on the house shows. Right. And feuding with Oni Lorcan on television. Yeah, which having two guys look very similar fight is always kind of a, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> but uh, Martin Stone, aka Danny Birch. I was about to say, in case you don't know, and you're like, I don't, I haven't seen Martin Stone. <laughs> I, I haven't seen Martin Stone on NXT. He's no, Danny you Birch. haven't. Yeah. You've seen a man who looks a lot like him named Danny Birch. Right. Well, luckily they're not tagging Martin Stone with Danny Birch because the, because you that, have a lot of confused people. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, this is a great match. Uh, I think we talked about this in the preview show. It's kind of interesting the two of them fighting because 450. Is a high flyer. He definitely has a lot of luchador style to him. They call him Mecha Wolf because uh, he's like a, a, a cyborg uh, person slash wolf. He's a lot of things. He's a lot of things. He is a cyborg. He is a wolf. He is a luchador. It's, There's like some almost Game of Thrones like uh, entrance attire. Yeah, he wore the spawn mask to the ring. <laughs> right. Which is kind of like. Why not? <laughs> Why not? I've never seen a mask like that. It was actually pretty cool. It was good. That was like movie quality right. Spawn mask. That yeah. was interesting. Movie quality. And of course you don't mean quality movie. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'll never make that mistake. Um, Martin not Stone, talking about Spawn. Absolutely. Martin Stone, like I said, uh, no frills. Just kind of like, I'm a wrestler from, from Britain. And everyone hates him because he is wow. a heel. Uh, but he's really good at kind of just listening to what the fan reaction is and grabbing the microphone and just throwing it back in their face. They called him Jason Statham. They're like, well, like who cares if it looks like Jason Statham? He's like, he's rich, he's a millionaire, he's good looking and all that stuff. So I was like, okay, yeah, you win. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so Martin Stone and 450, they, they mix it up, man. And it's a good match. It's a seriously good match between these two guys. And we actually find out right before the match, we forgot to mention that Shane Strickland... Uh, who just became the Defy champion, is actually going to defend that Defy championship against the winner of this match. So it's a pretty big deal. He's going to defend it at Fest Wrestling. Which is awesome. Defy Wrestling, out of the Pacific Northwest, is going to be working, clearly, in some sort of partnership with Fest Wrestling, 
again, it's that beautiful thing, that wonderful, cool thing that's happening within Fest and without Fest, meaning, you know, that, that camaraderie, that family feeling, and now it's what we hoped would extend throughout the independent scene and that it would be this new territory system, but even better. Right. Like, we obviously... Defy doesn't have the capability to have a Defy in every state. But if Defy is, is where they are, and Fest is where they are, and Wrestle Circus is where they are, and we work together, we use a lot of the same talent, we push a lot of the same agendas, we move in this direction, and we're all scratching one another's backs, that's killer. It is. And that promo package they played on the big screen in which they announced it, and you just see... Like uh, smoky black and white uh, footage of a wrestling ring, Shane Strickland doing all this badass stuff, and then just very simple font coming across saying, "It's coming." Shane Strickland returns to Fest as the Defy champion, and uh, and th- that is a big deal promoting another company's belt, you know. But I mean, Tony Weinbender would be the first to tell you that we're not competing against each other. Like and and I've always said like the Indies are not competition for WWE by any stretch because they just have more money and people they're a worldwide entity you know right and that's not a put down of the Indies the Indies no. are fucking great for what they are and the Indies have never been hotter than they are right now but if you all work together then you have something there I think I that's agree. a force we reckon with I completely agree so the winner of this match will go on to fight Shane Strickland for that Defy Championship which is very cool. Um, and it is a totally good match. Uh, Martin Stone is putting the putting the screws to four fifty. He is using that just, I guess, maybe British strong style because he he seems like a guy that could just hit really fucking yeah, hard. Yeah, and he does. He does. And uh, Martin Stone goes on the outside. Four fifty does not one, not two, but I think three. Yeah. Uh, suicide dives gets a lot of distance in those jumps. Uh, very impressed by that for sure. So after lots of suicide dives, lots of action on the outside, and every time those bodies hit that hardwood floor, it sounds like dropping a sack of potatoes. <laughs> and uh, it makes you feel a little sick in your stomach. Like, that's not going to feel good in the morning. That may have been the heat, too. But yeah. And uh, so, yeah, maybe. Um, but definitely not the ice-cold PBRs, which are always welcome at a fest <laughs> wrestling show. Um PBR, you can send me my free stuff. Right. Um, anytime. It'll it'll set them back $5, sending you like a week's <laughs> supply of PBR. Hey. Eventually, Martin Stone is able to get Mr. 450 into a crossface. 450 gets out after reaching the ropes, but Stone applies it again, at which point Mr. 450 passes out. Yeah. The referee lifts his hand. Hey, man, hand. doesn't tap. Doesn't tap. No, he does not tap out. Referee is just looking at him like, mm, must be dead. Pulls up his wrist, drops it, it hits the ground. And uh, in that new fashion, where it's not a one, two, three, like the old Hulk Hogan days, as has become... Because you can chant USA all you want. Neither one of these guys are from USA. Well, exactly. There you go. Um, <laughs> and believe me, I know, because I've done it before. And uh, But, uh, yeah... So you're not you're not giving them you know three chances to to hear USA enough that they wake up. You you just <laughs> lift their arm the one time uh, the same way you might in let's say MMA, and uh, that's that's all the fashion these days. And so 
Referee lifts 450's hand once. It drops to the mat. Ding, ding, ding. He's out like a light. Stone is your victor. Governor Martin Stone to go on and face Shane Strickland for the Defy Wrestling Championship. Yeah. Stone then gets on the microphone and <laughs> talking out of both sides of his mouth on this night. I mean, at one point, Stone went so far as to say the pretty much roundly reviled C-word. See you next Tuesday. And uh, Exactly. So he turns around and now he's telling Mr. 450, you know, I beat you and I'm going, you know, I'm now the man and I'm going to blah, blah, blah with Strickland, but I'll fight you anytime. Right. And well, I don't he, like you, but I respect you. Yeah, it almost seemed out of place um, because I think Stone should almost be like, and I don't mean, I don't want him to turn into the Joker or the Riddler or something absurd. I do. I want him to become the Riddler. But I almost... <laughs> wish that stone and i'm not saying you know i'm not he's not transforming into something crazy but i think he should almost just be like uh i'm almost maniacally mean you know what i mean not, he's definitely I, got the mean down not and he, he had to mean. hush the crowd enough to even speak on the microphone right because people are booing him so much and it's what he wants like he's a good heel it is what he wants but, but at the same time he was like i'm trying to be nice let me be nice for a second and then everyone's cheering all of a sudden and it's like what are you guys doing you we all hate him remember yeah it's almost like the fans forgot it's like no no you boo him no matter what no matter what he says so that, you know, uh, was slightly out of place. I understand, I understand. But I, I still dug the performances here in this match. I like that Stone won. I think that, you know, St- Stone and Strickland is going to be just as interesting as you were saying Stone and 450 is. Because on paper, it looks like uh, a mismatch. But again, for our listeners who know how much I was once in love with the early, early, earliest days of UFC... And the mismatches they presented, I like that. Yeah. I like it in pro wrestling. You know, yeah. I think I think everyone's got the same wrestling basics, though. That's kind of where, that's kind of like the the middle ground everyone can meet at. You know, um, you know, Martin Stone will put you in some sort of submission move because he's a technical wrestler. You know, which which sealed the fate of 450, unfortunately. But 450 is going to do suicide dives to you and all kinds of and do a 450. Um, so there's kind of there's that, but. Great match, and I can't wait to see Martin Stone take on Strickland for that Defy title. Next up, we have our six-person scramble match. Yeah, about that six-person scramble match. Well, it's a five-person scramble yeah. match. Yeah, Tony Weinbitter at the top of the show when he was basically running the card down for everyone. Unfortunately, had to break the news that Sammy Callahan was unable to compete due to an injury sustained at Wrestle Circus the night prior. Uh, so taking your six-man scramble down to a five-man scramble, but still, those five people are still pretty great. When you have people like uh, Leo Rush involved, Angel Rose, Chuck Taylor, the uh, current PWG champion. Pro wrestling gorilla. Indeed. Teddy Stigma, friend of the show, and Awakens Vandal uh, also involved. So it's still going to be a stellar match, even without the worldwide desperado Sammy Callahan, unfortunately. It would have been an even better match with him, but, you know, injuries, unfortunately, do happen. So, what can you do? Uh, the match to start off, though, with Leo Rush and Chuck Taylor. Chuck Taylor, the Kentucky Gentleman. Indeed. They start off the action, and just the two of them was a great match. Because in the scramble match, basically, two men started off, or, you know, women, 
as all matches start with two people, but every two minutes, someone else is going to join the fray. So basically, just Leo Rush and Chuck Taylor at this point, and they get going, and Rush and Taylor, even though Taylor definitely has a size advantage, Rush definitely has a speed advantage, in which Chuck Taylor even says himself in the match, like, damn, he's fast. Like, and, right, right. And it's cool because they're trying to figure each other out. They're, they're kind of going move for move. They're matching each other. It's a lot of the... You know, I throw an attack at you, you dodge it, then I dodge your move kind of thing, and then kind of a, a stare down, kind of like, well, this isn't working. Or like, hey, I'm right there with you, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, v- very is... Jerry Lynn, you know, RBD. Right, and and automatically, just the two of these guys standing in the ring together across the ring from one another, and then especially when they start locking up, it's a this is a world-class match. Just Leo Rush and Chuck Taylor is a world-class match. Uh, the man who was just the CZW World Champion, the man who is the current Pro Wrestling Guerrilla World Champion, I mean, Leo Rush, who we saw in January as ROH's top prospect, mm-hmm. Chuck Taylor, who is an amazing talent, golly, man, just seeing these two in this match, just to start off this match is like, this is the main event. On any wrestling card. Yeah. And here they are, just part of a a five-person scramble, uh, two matches from the main event. Fantastic. Just goes to show you the depth of a Fest wrestling card. Absolutely. Two minutes are up, and the world's worst role model comes out of the crowd, chugging his whiskey, sharing it with the fans. Not with me, but it's okay, Teddy. Next time, next time. Teddy, we were on the other side. If you couldn't, you went, me. you ended on the other side, Teddy. What's I mean, that about? Perry was wearing a whole Ref and Show T-shirt. Right. It's not like. First of all, you can't miss us anyway. Or <laughs> secondly, what, what, it, what does that mean? Darren? It means we're bigger than most of the wrestlers. Fine, all right. <laughs> uh, Teddy, we love you, buddy. And uh, you get in the ring, Teddy. And uh, then all of a sudden, it's Leo Rush, Chuck Taylor, and Teddy Stigma. That's great. And it's just, again, the, the, the level of talent here and the amazing and interesting matchups at Fest Wrestling, man. It just... It's great. Big man Teddy Stigma comes in, hits a couple of power moves on uh, Leo Rush and Chuck Taylor, and really just kind of establishes, like, Teddy Stigma's here, man. Like, don't count me out. And uh, really, really cool to see it, see them all mix it up for sure. Two minutes are up, and Vandal hits the ring. Vandal of Awaken. He has that Turkish pride, and uh, he comes out with his crescent moon and his bright red tights and boots and uh, that scowl, and he is not afraid to tell you that you're number one. Vandal uses a lot of sign language for the audience on this night. And uh, so now you've got Leo Rush and Chuck Taylor and Teddy Stigma and Vandal. And again, the talent is just stacks on stacks on stacks. And with that, you get another talent, Angel Rose of uh, TNA slash Impact Wrestling slash Global Force Wrestling. She comes to the entrance way, doesn't make it too much further in that. Uh, unfortunately, Vandal nails her in the face with a chair and just destroys Angel Rose from go. And unfortunately, she wasn't able to compete after that moment, and she heads the back. That's that was it. one of the biggest surprises of the night. Yeah, I don't want to say let down, because obviously having Angel Rose involved would have been great. 
and your six-man scramble is already now only a five-man scramble, and very quickly it became a four-man scramble. Well, I think it's okay then to say... And there could be only winner. It's a little bit of a letdown. There could be only one winner, though. Right. So that, that's fine. I mean, obviously I want to see Angel Rose wrestle. Maybe she was still hurting from that arm injury. I don't know. Well, sure. I don't. That's, that's one thing I think of. Um, but, I mean, Angel Rose music hits... It's huge pop because everyone's happy to see Angel Rose. Unfortunately, we didn't see her at Bring Your Mom because she hurt her arm. Um, and then just that. Just just like that, she is out. And it's like, okay. And the whole time I'm waiting for Angel Rose to show up. I'm waiting for her to like, you know, get down to the last two people. And, you know, one guy thinks he has it and Rose jumps in and, you know, whatever. So hopefully the next show will get some resolution there. Like Andrew Rose will say, you know what? I never lost that match. Let's whoever won, you and me. Vandal actually takes out Teddy Stigma, unfortunately, by giving him that fireman's carry slam on the on the knee. Or the head lands on the knee. I think Adam Cole does it. I forget what it's called. But anyway, um, devastating Teddy Stigma, unfortunately pinning Stigma and sending him out. And a lot of boos because Stigma's a fan favorite. And I gotta say, really impressed by Vandal on this night. Yeah. You see a lot of Vandal because Awaken has three separate matches. And man, just... <laughs> Vandal taking out Stigma. And also the way he took out Angel Rose. Like, it was a pretty good night for Vandal. Very good night for Vandal. I- I've liked him ever since we saw him at Pickle in the Tree. And of course, we've seen him on NXT television quite a bit. He's really only operated in an enhancement capacity on NXT television, but he's recognizable. He's got a unique look. He's got a, a respectable, a more than respectable skill set, and uh, he does have a hell of a night at Christmas in July from from the uh, you know top of the card to the bottom. Absolutely, I mean, he doesn't quite fit the awakened look because he just looks like Vandal. But I like that. But it's good though. It's good. It's almost like Owen Hart with the nation. It's like okay, I'm in your nation of domination, but I'm gonna look like Owen Hart. Well, exactly. Like <laughs> I'm like minded. I'm with you because we think alike. It doesn't mean we have to dress alike. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And so that's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Vandal, though, doesn't get to celebrate for too much longer because Leo Rush actually eliminates Vandal pretty quickly after that, um, <laughs> which everyone cheers because Vandal's out of the match. Uh, but it's down to the, the final two, and interestingly enough, the final two are the two people that started the match. Leo Rush and Chuck Taylor still in this one, and they go back and forth. Eventually, though, it does take two massive pile drivers on Leo Rush from Chuck Taylor to finally take down Leo Rush. Because, man, the first pile driver Chuck Taylor hits on Leo Rush, Leo Rush is up, not even a one count, up on his feet, oh, Hulk, like hulking up. That was a great moment because, first of all, the, the pile driver itself shook the building. Oh, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. that quick of a kick out mm-hmm. and Rush hulking up, just you know, the crowd just came alive yeah. like boom, boom. And then Taylor just snatches him up again and does an even more devastating variation of a pile driver. And I thought the roof was going to <laughs> literally come off. That looked after that. nasty. Uh, but that's enough to take down Leo Rush. Chuck Taylor is the number one contender to that Fest Championship belt. Well fought, I gotta say. That was quite a match. Yes, it is. And he will be fighting the winner of the next match on this evening. The next match is for the Fest Wrestling Championship. 
And your fast wrestling champion, Sue Young. Friend of the show. Defending her title on this night in a first time ever match against Holodead. Frenemy of the show. <laughs> and the winner of this match will go on to fight Chuck Taylor. So that's a pretty cool thing to think about is as they head into this match, they both already know what's next. They know who's standing on the other side of this match. And it's Chuck Taylor, who is a world champion in his own right. Yeah, it's something to be uh, fearful of for sure. But they can't even think that far ahead because they got to think about this match because both competitors are definitely something to worry about. Sure. Uh, Holodead wants that belt. She wants to make a good first impression on that Fest crowd. She wants to, to make a name for herself at Fest Wrestling. And uh, it, it's it's a great match. Holiday comes out with her bag, her little gift bag full of uh, God knows what at this point. We don't know. Um, and just looking ominous and creepy as hell. I think she licks a guy's face and licks someone else's face in the audience. And it's just like, yep, she's kind of crazy, creepy, and yeah. Uh, again, we are we are hiding away from Holodead because we don't want her to spot us in the audience. I am wearing a whole Ref and Show t-shirt after all. Um, <laughs> so, it, it's a good thing. And she did mention she was looking for us. So it was kind of like, oh god, oh god. Um, uh, but anyway, Holodead is ready to go. Sue Young comes out and she's wearing like a Christmas, like, uh, what is that? Like a nighty. Yeah, like Christmas like nighty, which yeah. is, you know, festive and... And she's got her kendo stick with all the belts on it, yeah. you know, and the just black Santa hat, the paps with paps. Yeah, on yeah, it. it's great. That, that's about as festive as Sue Young's gonna get. It's festive. Yes, it is. Um, so that that's great. And they come out. They know what's at stake. And this match begins. And it's just two monsters fighting each other. And it's weird because that's exactly what it is, and it feels that way the whole time. Oh yeah, they really. Again, like I was saying, the suspension of disbelief. When you're when you're in your 30s and you don't possess the suspension of disbelief, you can't watch wrestling. But if you can suspend your disbelief and you go to a wrestling show that thrives on that and the fact that they want you to do that and they want you to enjoy it for what it is, you can get lost in that. And all of a sudden, hashtag if wrestling were real, you're living in a world where hashtag it's still real to me, damn it. Because you have the undead bride versus the sugar skull painted chick from the dark side. And it's like, this is really gloomy and and uh, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Say spooky? <laughs> that word it's again. It's gloomy, it's spooky, it's macabre, it is otherworldly. Yeah. And you, you really feel that. This is this is like being on Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes! But you're watching it happen, but you think to yourself, man, if the lights go out and I know these things are around me, I am terrified. Yes! Okay, yes. That's exactly. That's what it is. It's Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean, it, Disney Dark Ride. Right. And you know there's nothing to worry about because it's all a show. But if the lights go out, you're fearful of, of what could happen. What, what is What could still happen? And that is Holodead and that is Sue Young, for sure. Yeah, it's like, right. It's like, okay, I'm not actually afraid that Freddy Krueger is real. 
and he's going to come kill me in my dreams. But I still don't want to be in a dark room with Robert England in his Freddy Krueger makeup. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because yeah. if he touches me, right, right. I'm still going to have a heart attack. <laughs> so I would still, in essence, be killed by Freddy Krueger. Exactly. Yeah, even yeah. though I wasn't killed by Freddy your, your, Krueger. Your mind or imagination makes it real. Yes. And man, and then these two people play off that. They, they really do because... You you don't you, you you just can't be real. You don't believe it's real. But there's a part of you that's like, oh, but what if it is? <laughs> right. It's real. It's real because it's happening in front of me, and they're acting insane. And I, I believe Sue Young goes to some dark place to become Sue Young, and I she, believe Holiday does the same must. thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because the artist behind the character of Sue Young, the athlete and entertainer and performer that is Sue Young, she's been on the show. Dear listeners, you heard the interview with her. There is no one more nice and friendly and generous, dare I say sweet, than Sue Young. That is not the person who comes through the curtain <laughs> at independent wrestling shows all around this country defending a slew of championships and uh, scaring the pants off of people nationwide and soon to be worldwide as she uh, takes her first tour of the United Kingdom in September. That's not that's not a nice person. That's not the same sweet person that you think you meet. Instead, no. It's that person you're afraid to be in a dark room with because there is a there is an otherworldly uh, feel about Sue Young. And it's having to be said about Holiday. Absolutely. Absolutely, Absolutely yeah. You put them in there together, and it's just terrifying. So yeah, these guys could do no wrong because just just the just the idea of the match happening is all is already kind of like oh, this is creepy. <laughs> this is uh, spooky, as some might say. Um, and it's very physical, and these guys really go at it, and it's brutal. They, they throw everything they can at each other. Most of the match takes place on the outside. Um, a lot of stuff going on, on the outside. A lot of it goes kind of out of our sight over by like the far away bar. And and all <laughs> dead and Sue Young are throwing blows over there, so it's like I can't see what's happening, but I'm sure it's awesome. Yeah, Sue does a you know uh, basically a, a flipping plancha off of a banister, yeah, onto Holodead, onto some various furniture pieces that are around. I mean, them. I think it was some sort of small lounge area where they they ended up, and they just beat the snot out of each other uh, way over there. You know, a large portion of the crowd was able to rush over there, which, of course, precluded our ability to do the same. But we sort of decided to stay where we were. Eventually, the action comes back to us. But, yeah, a lot of the action was actually out of our sight. I'm interested to to see the video uh, of this match once it comes out yeah. to, to see a few of the things that we might not have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, brutal is a way to describe this match physical absolutely because other than a, a, a little bit of uh the aerial maneuvering from sue this is a very ground-based and just like just a fight right i mean it's it's a lot of brawling because they kind of they go to blows a lot but they are also wrestlers so you, there is a lot of wrestling involved a lot of mind games too where you know holodead is in the ring and she's kind of on one knee and has her leg out, and she wants Sue Young to come sit in her lap. 
and Sir Young's very apprehensive. Or like, I don't know, should I? Should I sit on her lap? And it's got like like Hollow Dead, some sort of like like bizarre Santa Claus kind of a thing. And it was a really creepy spot. It was, and I was expecting somebody, anybody, hell, everybody to yell, "Don't do it!" Or right. what the hell? No one did, so I finally <laughs> felt compelled to and screamed all by myself, Why would you do it? Yes. Just hoping she would hear me and not sit on Holodead's knee. Which like, she does very, very briefly and actually tries to roll up Holodead immediately. So it's like, okay, good. Sue's not under this spell. Exactly. Oh, I see. Yeah, I love that Sue Young's the tortured monster this tortured demon who's kind of like well you know she's also a monster like me so i kind of relate to her and that's another little dynamic little story that's being told in the ring is like they they don't like each other because you know sue's got something hollowed at once that's at that's championship but they're also like they they relate to each other because they're both misunderstood they're both not right you know what i mean they're both right. like you know entities deities whatever um so I, i'd love that dynamic as well um, I love that dynamic. It is very, very cool, and uh, it's very reminiscent of the Sammy Callahan Sue Young match because it is very physical. Um, a lot of foreign objects are involved. Uh, we get to see what's in the bag that Holiday brought, which is a bouquet with PBRs. Um, <laughs> and she makes uh, she makes Sue take one of the PBRs. They cheer, you know. They they take a swig on the outside apron, and uh, Sue just getting <laughs> Sue. And- and Hall of Dead both take the drink and they both kind of throw their beers at each other and start fighting again. Because there is like that, we want to be friends, but we hate each other. Like it's it's a really cool story all throughout. Eventually though, Hall of Dead does grab, a, is, it a, is it another door? It's either a door or a large canvas or a table. I oh, can't, it was a door. It was a door, okay. I don't know where the people, I don't know where they get these doors from. There's some house somewhere that has no doors left. <laughs> because Fast Wrestling is stealing all these doors. Um, but anyway, uh, so now there is another door set up in the ring. Uh, I believe it's just propped up against the, the turnbuckle in the corner. Um, and Holodead eventually throws Sue into it, uh, which it does not break. Sue kind of bounces off of it and that looked really, really painful. Um, the good thing about, you know, a table or a door not breaking when it's supposed to is you get to use it again. You get to use it all over Double again. Double spot. Yeah. Double spot. To throw spot. your opponent through it once more. Um, and they do eventually, I think they set it up between two uh, chairs on the ring. And they go to the turnbuckle and it's kind of a fight back and forth to see who's going to throw who off of the turnbuckle. Um, and I... Frank Gastineau, the referee, gets involved in that tussle, kind of gets thrown out, and he's kind of out of it for a bit. And Sue Young uses that moment to spray her red mist in Holiday's face. Always one of my favorite spots. Always nice, always nice. I always whether appreciate that. Yeah, whether it's the great Kabuki, Muda. the great Muda, the Yoshi great Sue Hiro Young, Tajiri, oh, yeah. Sue Young. The mist is a great spot. Hey, the mist, come on. And I love that hers is red because it's like blood. Oh, yeah. So it's in Holiday's face. Holiday quickly recovers, I bet she loves it, too, because she can't seem to get it off of her hands. <laughs> uh, so the Mrs. in Holiday's face. Holiday does recover, however. Let me just say, if her skull makeup were not creepy enough, skull makeup that's then been blasted by oh, uh, yeah, redness. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Became a whole other level of scary. It's like her face is like melting off of yeah. her. It's really creepy looking. 
Um, but Sue actually puts on the gloves uh, and she actually hits the mandible claw <laughs> with her own version of Sako, I guess, with these gloves on uh, on Holodead. I think almost her entire hand disappeared into Holodead. Oh, mouth. God, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so that's going on. <laughs> Uh, so the door is used again. Uh, Sue Sue comes running at Holodead, but Holodead kind of snatches her up out of the air and does a spine buster on the door. But eventually Sue Young gets Holodead up on her shoulders for the airplane spin into the Michinoku driver, which is her finisher, and she gets the pin on Holodead. Really awesome match. Insane. Again, watching these two go to war like that. and uh... It's one of those things where you look at Sue Young and you think she might be at a disadvantage whether it's against Sammy Callahan or Jessica Havoc or Holodead. And then you realize these are tough as hell opponents, Jessica Havoc, Sammy Callahan, Holodead. But guess what? That's how tough Sue Young is. Sue is as tough as she needs to be. Takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Absolutely. She's still the champion for a reason, and that's because she outlasts these other people. They might be tough. She is tougher. Twisted mind over matter. And up next is the main event of the evening. They got to change the canvas because they know how gnarly it's going to get. <laughs> that says something after a Sue Young match. You change the canvas after that. Yeah, so Tony's uh, talking to the audience, asking them what weapons these demented, sick, fest wrestling uh, fans like or what they brought to the show. And uh, while they're doing that, the canvas is being changed out and getting ready for that fans bring the party weapons match between Awakens leader Leon Scott and the golden boy grab ass Effie. We got to send a big thank you to Tony Weinbender and Fest Wrestling as if we don't do that enough. (laughs) Because right here at this very moment, Tony takes the opportunity to grab me from the crowd and then point out uh, me and... Perry and say these are the guys this is the whole rough and show you've been looking at their banner their advertisement all night long on our video screen these guys have the best podcast which I thought was great because Colt Cabana was also there (laughs) and I I screamed take that Colt Cabana (laughs) I hope he heard that anyway and uh, so we love you Tony that was uh, more than I would have ever expected uh so that was that was killer super nice super unexpected appreciate you putting us over like that yeah anytime someone puts us over we love you forever so basically we'll kill someone for you just let us know who who needed to be killed so the canvas has changed <laughs> we've been put over in front of the live crowd how can the night get better it does it does because the feminist icon the golden boy of grab ass effie takes to the ring he comes out riding on a razor scooter and he looks like a million dollars he is everybody's daddy and uh he gets in the ring the rainbow streamers come from all around the pride color streamers coming out was pretty wow. awesome yeah yeah the and the, the perfect throw what do they get like a, t- a whole team of baseball pitchers they like, did they, they cascaded in better than i've ever seen like that's like one thing, okay, it's one thing you're watching Japanese wrestling or Ring of Honor or something and you just see streamers sort of, they pile in, that's, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen them in such a perfect rainbow overarching cascading fa- uh, fashion. Right. And it was it was great. Effie falls to his knees, 
celebrates the fact that he's being celebrated. Meanwhile, Awaken couldn't possibly be more sickened Bastards. by this display. And uh, it it starts off, I mean, it starts. From, I mean, they, they, they waste no time. From Go, well... From the, from the get-go, you hear Natural Born Killers play, <laughs> uh, typically New Jack's theme from ECW, uh, but instead it's actually a Santa Claus who comes out with a trash can full of the foreign objects, the weapons that the fans have brought to the uh, show, and uh, they put it in the ring. So, that trash can of weapons is in the middle of the ring, the bell hits, and both Effie and Leon go for the, the weapons immediately. Leon throws Effie off and digs some more. Effie comes right back in. They reach down, they grab some stuff, and they both come out with sex toys. <laughs> of course they do. Yeah, I believe uh, Leon's, uh, they're both hands on, like, you know, long, they're, long plastic, long flesh-toned plastic. They're fisting dildos. Yeah, one's a fist, and one's basically two fingers out. And <laughs> they both look at each other kind of like... What what's what do we even do with these? Uh, but they kind of they have a, they have a match. They hit them against each they other. They have a sword fight with them. They have a sword fight with them. I think Leon Scott's uh, was a little less useful than Effie's uh, fist. At least that's a fist. That's right? a fist. Yeah. Effie starts to beat Leon Scott in the head with it. Yeah. At which point he's like, "What am I doing? There's no closed fist yeah. allowed in wrestling." <laughs> right. Uh, Effie, he's a stickler for the rules. He is. Effie. He's a stickler for the rules. Um. <laughs> so. So we already have sex toys right off the bat, and we have a uh, a, a, a stand up of Brock Lesnar from WWE Two K <laughs> like fifteen or sixteen, and uh, all kinds of other shit. The first and far from the last cringeworthy moment for me was Effie ends up with like a child's uh, like guitar, oh like yeah, a toy yeah, guitar, yeah. Uh-huh. and uh, we've seen plenty of people get bashed. Uh, with guitars over the years in professional wrestling, whether it was the Honky Tonk Man or Jeff Jarrett or, as of late, Elias Sampson. On this night, (laughs) uh, we get to see Effie take a much smaller but not so hollow guitar and smack Leon Scott like five times incredibly hard. He wasn't doing it until it broke. <laughs> and it wouldn't break. It wouldn't break. Oh, man. It was... I felt bad for Leon Scott. It's the only time I ever, ever felt bad for Leon Scott in my life. Because <laughs> he's such a heel. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's shit. Trying to keep up with the order of all these things happening, fans, we apologize. Yeah, you this, can't this will up. be out of order. Because we only saw the match as it happened. So trying to keep it all in, in you know, Chronological order is not going to happen, but let's just say Leon Scott hits Effie with a Super Nintendo. That happens. Uh, Effie hits Leon Scott with a, a, a six pack of cupcakes. Yeah, as well as a he VH. opens it up first to make sure that he gets to. Oh, awesome. have a bite yeah, of, of course, him. of course. And he hits Leon Scott with a VHS copy of Jerry Maguire. Um, that might have been the hardest hit of the whole evening. That, VHS tapes are indestructible. Right. There's a reason these things are still around and they still work. And yet he destroyed it. Oh, absolutely. He destroyed the indestructible over the head of Leon oh Scott. Oh, God. This VHS cassette literally comes apart. Yeah. breaks in half. And then Effie starts yanking the tape out of it. To wrap around Leon's <laughs> it says, throat. Jerry McGuire, Jerry McGuire. <laughs> I, I yelled, "Show me the money!" Uh, it, was, it was good. Anyway, um, but uh, more debauchery. There's a bowling ball that 
Of course, <laughs> Effie bowls into Leon Scott's uh, balls uh, when he's sitting down on the outside. Um, God, it's, it's it's so much to keep up with. Throws Leon Scott into a giant pinata, and uh, oh yeah, no, and, and by giant pinata, we don't mean like oh, it's a pinata that's that's bigger than normal. This is a it's it's a donkey. It's, it's probably like a life-size donkey. It's bigger than a real donkey. Yeah, yeah. Leon Scott is completely inside of the ass of the pinata. <laughs> and and uh, he sticks his head, and sticks Leon's head up the ass of the ass. Right, and uh, Effie does an elbow drop from a table or something uh, onto the uh, pinata with poor Leon Scott inside of it. And uh, God, Effie takes Leon Scott upstairs and throws him down the stairs. And, and then Effie rides a sleigh. Down the stairs into Leon Scott. Right. This whole thing is just a spot machine. It's a spot uh, highlight reel, and it's just one match. There's a couple of moments in this match where I I got that like that real like like my skin got hot, and not because it was really hot, <laughs> but like my skin got hot because I felt this just went from a wrestling show to an experience. Right. Uh, this just, hell, this just went from an experience to a happening. Yeah, everyone's this talking about this. something that is about to be known. Right. This just became a thousand different gifts, and I get to say, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. I was there for that. Yeah, um, I took that picture. Yeah, Effie, Effie uh, with a cheese grater on Leon Scott's head. Um, Leon Scott uh, tries to... <laughs> They try to throw each other onto uh, Effie's merchandise table, and the table like buckles immediately <laughs> before they can do anything like you know like serious with it. Um, <laughs> it's just and Effie's kind of like, like after, oh well, it broke after that cheese grater incident. Leon is really gushing blood. Yeah, his you know his bald white head is just is just streaked. It looks like spider webs of bright red blood all over. The, his face and his entire head, and so while he's sort of trying to recover from realizing that he's now wearing a crimson mask, Effie asks someone for a cigarette, and he gets a cigarette, he gets a lighter, and uh, you know that's cool. Effie just have a smoke. Sometimes you you need it to cool down a little bit. Mid match, whatever. Of course, course mid match, and uh, uh, Leon Scott takes the cigarette away from him. And puts out the lit cigarette on Effie. Yeah. I mean, again, it's one of those things where if half of these things happened, if one of these things happened, it'd be something to talk about. Absolutely. But there, all of these moments are happening between the same two individuals in the same match right before our very eyes. It's almost like sensory overload. It was. Because you, you, you like here we are now talking about the match saying, oh, and this, oh, and this, oh, and this, and we're forgetting half the match probably. Um, you know, Leon Scott hitting Effie with uh, Russian nesting dolls and, <laughs> and all kinds of just weird shit. There's a barbed wire Christmas tree light wrapped baseball bat. Right. It's like, who the fuck brought that? Um, and, and that, how are those lights staying lit? Exactly, yeah. So that's happening, and, and Effie nails uh, Leon Scott with that. Not to mention, Leon Scott goes into the crowd and grabs a fan. Yes! Yeah, picks up one of the super nerd wrestling boys, uh, 
And then Gorilla Plus slams him into Effie. The other one tries to, like, you know, like, hey, what's your problem? You know, to Leon Scott. Leon Scott decks him and he goes down. Uh, really cool fan interaction there. Effie uses Frank Gastineau, the referee, uh, <laughs> as a weapon against uh, Leon Scott by throwing him into that. Gastineau, man, he took a lot of damage in this match. Uh, because, you know, it gets back into the ring, and I want to say it's somewhat civilized, but it's not because Leon Scott brings out thumbtacks. And that's when things get even more Two bloody. very large bags yeah, of thumbtacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's the battle to see who's going to go one of the thumbtacks first. First, it's Leon Scott. Leon Scott goes out first on the thumbtacks. Um, but he rallies and gets up, and he just choke slams Effie into the thumbtacks. And anytime you bring in thumbtacks, it's like, no, no, that's the worst shit. That is the worst shit, because... Not only are you falling into them when you actually go into them, they're there the entire match. They're spreading around. You're stepping in them. Like, <laughs> anytime you fall down, it's going to be into those thumbtacks because they're now everywhere. Um, I think even Frank Gastineau had to pull some thumbtacks out of himself. Yeah, because uh, he's got to be in that ring with those guys. Yeah. He's got to be falling on the mat to try and make a pin, like, like make a count. Yeah, there's thumbtacks everywhere, not to mention multiple wrestlers are bringing in extra weapons that they forgot to bring out in the beginning. So there's all these extra things just showing up. I think, like, Jason Cade brought something out. Uh, <laughs> Veda Scott brought out this giant, like, marlin, like, <laughs> fish. And it's just like, okay, this is, this is too much. They're running out of time to hit each other with everything. So I think they're like, you know, I, this is too much. we got to finish this right now. Um, and unfortunately, Leon Scott had a little ace up his sleeve. That ace, of course, being the rest of Awaken, who, of course, they can't stay away. They all storm the ring. They beat up on Effie. We've got to find a way to keep the rest of Awaken out of this match. There's got to be a way. Effie needs a fair match with Leon Scott. Yeah, even Fair though Beastly one on one, Beastly comes out to his aid. I was hoping for Stigma to show up, but you know Stigma's got his own merchandise. I understand. Um, he's over at the merch table. Um, but Beastly comes out uh, to his aid. However, Awaken just kind of overpowers Beastly. You know what they say? Huh? Effie loves Beastly. They do say that indeed. Um, but it was cool that Beastly got involved to help out his buddy. And um, Frank Gastineau gets more punishment from Awaken. They take him out. Beastly's down. Effie's out. But that's not enough, because they actually, and I've never seen this done before, they peel back the canvas of the ring, you know, all the padding, which there's not much padding anyway, uh, gets peeled off, it's just those wooden planks that basically is what supports a ring. And if you've never seen what a wrestling ring looks like without the canvas and the mat, think of it along the lines of the slats that you would put on your bed frame before you put a box springs or a mattress. It's just boards. Right. It's just boards. Just think of a really wide railroad track. That's what it looks like. And it's not pretty. It is hardwood stacked side by side in a metal frame. Absolutely. And uh, Wolf Taylor and Vandal, they help Leon get uh, Effie up for a massive power bomb that Leon Scott delivers to Effie on the wooden planks. Effie is down for the count. They get Gastineau up for the three count, and uh, that's it. Leon Scott wins this fucking slugfest of a match. I, Leon Scott should be proud of himself. I mean, no, he shouldn't. He cheated to win. Uh, well, yeah, cheaters it, never prosper unless they, 
prosper. Except that they, except for when they prosper. Absolutely. Uh, Leon Scott has really gotten the better of Effie for months and months. It's uh, it's a feud unlike any other in Fest Wrestling. It's like these guys are uh, talk about hashtag fight forever. Effie and Leon Scott, this is a feud for the ages, and uh, they hate one another. I, I feel awful for Effie here. You know, he, uh, he he definitely took it to Leon Scott. Leon Scott's going to be wearing all sorts of new scars uh, around. and Because uh, he, 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 honestly, as far as like permanent damage, seemed to take a lot more on this night than Effie did. But you just can't fight the numbers game. Yep. And with all of Awaken taking it to Effie, they put him down for the count. And Leon Scott is your winner in the main event of Fest Wrestling's Christmas in July. I doubt this is the last time these two will face each other. I'm sure the next show, the situation might come to a head. You might see the winner-take-all match. We shall see. But for Xmas in July, Christmas in July, Fest Wrestling... What a show. What a tremendous show. I don't know how Tony Weinbender can pull great show out of great show, um, but he seems to be able to do it. And with this cast of colorful characters, uh, these great wrestlers, these great personalities, it's uh, it's definitely no surprise that he was able to do it. If you were not there and you are listening to us now, find our Twitter, find our Instagram. You know where that information is. You're probably already following us there. If not, we always discuss it in depth at the end of every episode. Find the pictures there, the videos. Find all the links that we provide to these entertainers, these wrestlers, and support them. And look at all their pictures from this night. Furthermore, once this hits YouTube and you have these extremely well-shot, well-edited videos with excellent commentary by friend of the show rich bokini and max greg you'll be glad you watched it absolutely so with christmas in july in the books now we can only look forward to the next fest wrestling show which is on september 3rd and it is the one year anniversary show Fest Wrestling is turning one year old happy birthday to fest well, premature but yes one year anniversary for them I can't say enough good things about Fest Wrestling. I can't wait to this next show. And uh, that's it, man. I just kind of sit and wait until the next one. That's all I can do. And with that, we leave the indies behind. And we but look, only briefly. Only briefly. And we talk about, of course, WWE's latest pay-per-view. That is Battleground. And uh, Darren and I went head-to-head. Head-to-head. And the results and a full breakdown of that card... Comes to you now. On July 23rd, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania was the battleground for SmackDown Live's pay-per-view of same name, Battleground. And uh, Darren and I went head-to-head last week with who we thought would be the victors of the battleground. And uh, we were right half of the time. We were right half the time. We were right half the but time. But only half the time. Only right half the time, which means we were only wrong half the time, too. 
If we were baseball players and we'd be batting 500, we would be all-stars. Yeah, man. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we're not baseball players. We are podcasters. Oh, right. Oh, uh, no. And we don't make any money. Um, but anyway, we enjoy wrestling and we enjoy Battleground for the most part. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed what I saw. Apparently no one else did. Uh, <laughs> I mean... I'm just going to say, wow, I mean, I know that we move in circles of critics of wrestling, and I also know that even sort of the wrestling watching uh, body, the uh, specifically the IWC, the internet wrestling community, is particularly uh, scrutinizing of the WWE these days, but damn. I mean, everybody wanted, like, I saw people saying, easily the worst pay-per-view of the year. No, Extreme people Rules saying, you know, like, definitely the worst since the brand split. I mean, I, I even saw some stuff on Instagram about people saying that Battleground was the worst pay-per-view since... ECW December to Dismember. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's some fighting words right there. And uh, as our faithful, faithful dear listeners may remember, we discussed that pay-per-view, December to Dismember, on this very podcast in a Take You Back segment. That we did. We took you back to that horrible atrocity. It was not a horrible atrocity. I mean, wonderful, show, wonderful wrestling show. Is that what you want me to say? I, I just, I, it always goes back to what the WWE Network is really going to be valuable for one day. And it's being able to revisit things you thought were bad until you watch them again and you think, okay, now is that, you know, is that Flair Steamboat? No, no, it's probably not. It's probably not Flair Steamboat. Is that the worst pay-per-view I've ever seen? No, definitely not. Those 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 things are sort of have become like gems in, in their own way. Like and I, not anything involving uh Rene Dupree or any of those fellows. But uh right. a lot of the stuff from that time that's been kind of shit on isn't that bad. And Battleground is not that bad, and it's not really that bad at all because especially just look at the talent is everything booked great are we happy with every finish no the this card is pretty fucking cool i'm just gonna say it uh the the card is pretty cool i said it last week you know the people want to dismiss stuff so quickly these days but just as a time capsule this card on paper makes me happy well, I will say that actually recently I did some soul searching, Darren, and I realize I'll never be completely happy with WWE. They're going to make bad decisions. They're going to book the people that I want to win to lose. Um, shit, no one loved The Rock more than I did in 1998, 99, 2000, 2001. The Rock never won a match. Steve Austin... Ran all over his face. <laughs> Triple H, you know, had China low blow him at every every turn. Yeah, yeah. The Rock never won a match. Uh, let's face it. Um, and I still love The Rock. And I can still look back on those days and be like, oh, The Rock was so great. Um, so anyway, 
So, I mean, wrestling has never done right by me. Okay. But I can still get a lot of enjoyment out of it. I can still enjoy the the matches. Okay. Yeah. I like the I like what's happening. I like hey. the cut of your jib here. Hey, hey, hey. I did I was afraid where you were headed with this, but I actually I like what you're saying. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm never going to be happy, you know, and and you know what? If that's okay, they shouldn't aim to make just me happy. Sure. Even though I think that would make everyone happy making me happy. Um, but anyway, so, you know, whatever. It's it's WWE. These people are getting paid. It's an entertaining show. And I think if people didn't... If internet people didn't have this to complain about, they would have nothing to do. So it gives them something to do. There you go. There um, you go. There you go. And like I said, even though we report on uh, some of the outcry from uh, wrestling fans and the internet wrestling community, it doesn't mean that we subscribe to that. But, I mean, to not mention it would be doing a disservice to a vocal portion of the wrestling viewing audience. We are of that, you know, we, we, we are that. Oh, we, well, certainly, and certainly we can. We are fans with opinions. Right? In fact, we, we have a microphone. We have a weekly show. Exactly. We can be critical on our own, scrutinizing on our own. Right. I just don't want uh, our listeners uh, to ever feel like we are following any sort of trend. No. Uh, especially as far as... Hey, we set trends. IWC goes. Um, uh, we're frequently out of step with what uh, a lot of the internet feels about wrestling. But we uh, we do find ourselves... Uh, while we may not be in agreement with the direction that a lot of the IWC wants, we are just as unhappy as they are with the decisions the WWE frequently makes. Nevertheless... It doesn't mean it's not a good product with rosters chock full of amazing talent. I, I agree completely. Absolutely. We, we understand that we are two fans who have never, ever run a wrestling organization, a multi-million dollar wrestling organization. Uh, and who has? And we're t- <laughs> Other and, than Vince McMahon. And we're telling Vince McMahon <laughs> how to do it. We understand that. Okay. I'm sure it's not easy. You can't please everybody. You want to keep your business going with whatever works in your brain, what's worked in the past. I understand. That being said, the first match is god-awful. Ty Dillinger (laughs) takes on Aiden English in the pre-show kickoff match. It is a return match from Money in the Bank. From the pre-show of Money in the Bank. From the (laughs) pre-show of Money in the Bank. Ty Dillinger, the perfect 10. Aiden English, the 6 at best. <laughs> yes, exactly. A six at best. Um, I remember when they did this gimmick, basically this exact same gimmick with Aiden English, prior to the Vaude Villains. This he's a he's a thespian, he's a singer, and blah blah blah. And part of why he was given this gimmick to run with was because he supposedly was a great singer. Um. Newsflash, he's not. Mm-hmm. He's not a good singer. Who's to say? I am. Okay. I am to say that when you're putting him out there and he's supposed to actually be a good singer, he and he's and he's not. Um a it's kind of weird. A heel can't be a good singer. But he's not, you, you know, but he's boo, not. boo boo boo. And then he sings wonderfully and it's like Well the problem is they are booing him, but he's not He's not bad enough. He's not trying to be bad or inadvertently being bad. 
he's trying to be good because I think he might be trying to be not good. That might be the that might be not, the swerve. He might be working you, Darren. It's not working. It's uh, regardless of who he's working, it's not working. Wow. Um, I, I I don't like this gimmick. I hate this gimmick. Says the nicest things about. I hate it. I absolutely hate it for <laughs> Jesus the guy. Christ. No, no, I hate it for. We're him. not overly critical, you know. I, I said great. I hate this it is for awful, the guy, and I hate wrestling. I hate it for Aiden English that this is his doom. Right, and and, and Ty Dillinger and Aiden English are both uh, decent wrestlers. So it is. It isn't a bad match. It's a decent match. You just feel bad for the guys. You feel bad for any match that happens on the pre-show because that basically means it didn't happen. Right. It's not going to make the box. It's not going to make the back of the box. Is what we're trying to say. And it's definitely not going to make the front of the box. It's not going to make the front of the box. That's for sure. However, Aiden English does get one over on Ty Dillinger, and this feud keeps going. We man. called that one wrong. We... Yeah, we did. But I, I do mention on the initial head to head, head to head. That, you know, even though we're pretty sure Ty Dillinger should just win because they should be pushing Ty Dillinger uh, somewhere, um, that, you know, Aiden, Aiden might win just to kind of keep this feud going, and that seems to be what's happening. So I'll take the loss, but but I did break it down. Fair enough. I'm only okay with this if it goes another six months and has some interesting twists and turns. Right. If it does, then awesome. I'll look back on the fact that they're trading victories, and I'll go, oh, that was that was good. That was great. Remember but that kickoff that, show match? Happen. Right. In two to three months, this will not be remembered at all, and then it just just won't be good. What so won't be remembered? I know. <laughs> I know. I was just saying how great a card this was. This is not an example. <laughs> this is not an example of that. Right, it, right, right. It's not. Not. Well, well, hey, it doesn't count. It's not on the show. Enough, so this isn't part of the card. This wasn't a match. We're talking about nothing. It didn't happen. <laughs> All right, let's get into the real show. Yeah, now here. the show starts with uh, tag team action. I like that the first match is the tag team championship match. The Usos, the reigning SmackDown champions, uh, they take on the New Day uh, for them belts. Now, very interesting combination of New Day combatants. Typically, you want Big E to be in a big match like this. This is the first. I, I know it's not the first time. I, somebody immediately will... Tell, correct us. Yeah, okay. But this is not the first time. This is the first time in a long time, in my memory, that it's been Woods and Kingston without Big E. It's typically, well, most of the time, it's Kofi Kingston and Big E. Mm-hmm. Xavier Woods is just basically their manager. You've got the trombone on the outside. Occasionally, Xavier and Big E will team up. But Xavier and Kofi, that was kind of, that was kind of different. Mm-hmm. As far as the match itself, very back and forth. This is not a bad match. This is pretty good. It was a really good match to start the show off. Like already, the crowd was super into it. A couple of this is awesome chants, and uh, yeah, there were there were. I mean, well, there were moments that were that awesome. I mean, the Usos at one point have both Woods and Kingston on the outside uh, of the ring. They hit a double power bomb onto Kofi. And then the Usos turn right around, and there's uppercut on Xavier Woods. I mean, and I think that for me, the reason that I like that so much is because, one, I like the Usos. I like the heel Usos. I like their, literally like their wardrobe, their gimmick, their get-up, the whole nine yards. Right. And I think that because New Day were so incredibly 
uh, celebrated on Raw and kind of immediately are here on SmackDown as well, it was nice to see them at a distinct disadvantage at one point in this match. Um, because it kind of, <laughs> I, know, I know it sounds counterintuitive, but to see New Day down like that, you know, it kind of makes you feel like they are a great team. Right. They are a championship team. They have what it takes to persevere. Uh, that's what a champion does. Right. You can get beat down and still come out on top. Yeah, Xavier Woods took a lot of punishment from the Usos um, and kick out the, the times when you think, like, how could that be possible? And one cool thing about Big E being on the outside is he has really great facial reactions. Right. So, like, his look of astonishment when Xavier Woods kicks out is just, it's, it's actually really funny. I think even commentary mentions it. Um, yeah, that, like, the near falls in this match. That both, was really good. They were. It was that, a really good match. They were good, believable, and exciting near falls. They weren't just... Okay, God, kill me with the false finishes. Right, right. No, they were they were believable and exciting. Probably the best New Day match in a very long time. I totally agree. Well, it actually has a finish, you know, <laughs> right? So that's good, and that that's no that's no fault of their own. That's you know booking, but still, um, yeah, man. The the New Day wins. The New yeah. Day wins the belts, and they become the first ever SmackDown and Raw Tag Team Champions. Because uh, they did hold the Raw titles for a thousand years. <laughs> and now they'll be holding the SmackDown title for a thousand years. Uh, but we'll see about that. Well, we both picked New Day to win this match, so we were correct. Yay, we're one and one. We are one and one at this point in the card. Okay. So we move on to the third match of the evening. The artist, Shinsuke Nakamura, the king of strong style. Mm-hmm. Takes on the lone wolf, Mr. Money in the Bank, Baron Corbin. What, what you got? What you got for me here? Our, one of our very favorites, Shinsuke, versus, uh, versus Baron Corbin, who I, I know you really don't care for much at all. I have high hopes, but that's about it. Yeah, uh, well, it, it, it's tough. In Shinsuke Nakamura is my favorite wrestler currently, so have him in the ring against anyone, and it's gonna be like, no, no, like anyone is not AJ Styles, and right. I've been I've been touting that ever since this podcast began. I just want to see them fight each other in WWE, um, and and Corbin, he, he, like I said, he the best I could say for him is like you said, high hopes. I am seeing bits of improvement here and here and here. And he's he's talking about how great like a crowd reaction he's getting because he's getting all this heel heat, you know. But basically, if anyone hits Shinsuke Nakamura from behind, they're gonna get the same exact reaction for sure. So for he sure. needs to to kind of get off that because it could be fucking hardcore Holly hitting Shinsuke in the back and getting the same reaction. Um, I, I do hate hardcore Holly, by the way. I, I meant to say that earlier when we we're talking about uh, uh, December to December. All right, because you were like, no, it's not a bad show. I was going to say hardcore Holly is in the main event. It's a bad fucking show. No, it's a good show. Hardcore Holly is one of the worst wrestlers of all time. Yes, but uh, yes, and we're not one, one one bad apple doesn't spoil the whole bunch. Okay, and we don't typically put wrestlers down except for you, hardcore Holly, and No Way Jose. No, he is a nice man. <laughs> I, I, I never said he wasn't He's nice. always making children happy, and that you just hate that about him. Well, I just you? hate children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Let's get that out there in the airwaves. 
Um, but anyway, we want the airwaves. We want the airwaves, baby. Ramones reference. Uh, we, we get we get quite a quite a bit punk on this episode, don't we? Yeah, Amen. we're hip. I was born punk. <laughs> I was born CM Punk. I was born a poor black CM Punk. So Baron Corbin uh, and Shinsuke Nakamura mix it up, and I don't know that these two wrestling styles mesh at all. That, that there are there are some sloppy spots, some some ill time. Like what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, okay, you're doing that. Uh, uh. So I agree. Okay, I agree. This I I thought about this a lot. Like I wow, you did some soul searching as I well. I really because here's the thing. I wanted this match to be good. Uh it, it wasn't. <laughs> and the problem is the match itself, the wrestling. It's it's uninspired. Mm-hmm. The wrestling itself is uninspired. It is an uninspired wrestling match however to be fair i looked at it and i didn't dislike it on paper and i didn't dislike it when i saw them face off against each other and there's a lot of different reasons these guys actually look good as opponents uh in theory corbin being bigger than shinsuke nakamura is a nice visual you know, except for, you know, Samoa Joe being much larger than Nakamura in terms of girth. Stout. We have seen Nakamura be the larger man in all of his WWE matchups, his NXT matchups. It's, it's, it's that Mike Awesome effect and where you think Mike Awesome is nine feet tall. It's also but, funny that you mentioned Mike Awesome okay. because I was going to say, in addition to it looking nice because... It looks like, oh, Nakamura, who is a special attraction, he's a big deal, king of strong style. Here we are uh, with our wrestling podcast promoting the shit out of him because we're big fans and we want more out of him. All of a sudden, he is a physical disadvantage to somebody like Baron Corbin, Uh, you know, at least at a glance. There's that. Then there's the fact that Baron Corbin almost has, like, like it was almost even though I'm watching WWE, I'm watching SmackDown live pay-per-view, I get the feel like I'm transported. All of a sudden this is sort of Nakamura's world. And now I'm watching FMW or something where you've got a uh, Gaijin over wrestling in FMW or New Japan or All Japan or Pro Wrestling Noah. And you have somebody like Mike Awesome or the aka the gladiator during his Japanese wrestling days, taking on a Japanese favorite. Mm-hmm. Because here at Battleground, Nakamura is Japanese and he's the favorite. And you got this big lumbering white dude. And then of course, because it's Japanese, because it's mismatched, it also has a fighting game feel to it. So again, that's me making a lot of out of a little um, because I really am looking at it and I'm, I'm saying all of those very positive things and really building it up as a quality matchup in my mind based on those factors. When in fact bell rings and it's actually an uninspired match. Yeah. It's not very good. Um, and what's even worse. It's how the match ends. It is. Um, you know, the disqualification you know, it's a DQ win. 
for Nakamura because you get a mule kick from Baron Corbin, a low blow taking Nakamura out. Um, you know, it's just like, I'm, I mean, it's like I've said this the whole time we've been talking about this. It's not a good match. If you take it uh, in terms of the big picture and you can say, well, they did tell the story of Corbin disrespecting Nakamura. And then what is that all about? Why does he do it? Is he afraid of really what Nakamura is capable of doing to him? Um, You also have the story of Corbin not caring one way or the other about the feud or win-loss record when it comes to Nakamura because he already is Mr. Money in the Bank. I don't need to beat Nakamura. I don't need to beat anybody. I could later tonight, I could be the world champion if I wanted to be. I, I do like that. I like that he doesn't have to win matches because he's guaranteed that title shot. So, yeah, I mean, Baron Corbin draws a DQ with the mule kick, and uh, Shinsuke wins, which we said would happen because Baron Corbin didn't have to win because, again, he is Mr. Money of the Bank. Um, so, Shinsuke wins, uh, and uh, the audience doesn't because that's not a good ending to that match for them. They wanted to see a Kinshasa, and I totally understand that. Uh, however,. We got some lady action coming up after that. We have the women. Uh, they're competing for number one contendership to that SmackDown Women's Championship. That is Naomi's championship. It's a five woman elimination style match. Yes. I've had a few of those in my day. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. They, they, they all eliminate themselves. It's sad. Uh, <laughs> um. This isn't a good match either. <laughs> Jesus. It's it's really not uh, as good as it could be. There's a whole lot of talent in here. And it's just... Uh, I don't know. They throw a lot sort of at you very early. And then it's like uh, somebody got backstage got bored. And they're like, go home, go home. And they're like, but it's elimination style. Okay, we'll just still go home. Eliminate everybody in a row. Yeah, I hate that when there are no eliminations or no points scored in a, a match with multiple pinfalls or submissions. And then all of a sudden there's like a ton of them right. all at once. It's like, what? It took them forever to get one. How are there now three or six? Um, so I totally, I'm with you on that one because uh, when things start happening in this match, they happen fast. And right. I'm not and a fan the, while they're happening slowly, basically the only slow part of this match is everybody trying to eliminate Lana. But Tamina comes to her rescue because there's some sort of loose alliance between Tamina Snuka and Lana. Yeah, the, the, the big girl should look out for the smaller uh, blonde pretty girl that, that, that can't defend herself. Where have I seen that on Raw with Nia Jax and Alexa <laughs> Bliss? Okay, that's where I've seen that. Um, But... Lana could not save Tamina, could not return the favor. Tamina is the first one eliminated as Becky throws on the disarm her. Trade fire! And then uh, Lana comes, does come in, but without the help of Tamina, she is also quickly eliminated as Becky applies the disarm her. Trade fire! And uh, so now it's down to just three. But Becky is immediately eliminated by Natalia, who runs in and rolls her up, as well as gets a handful of tights. Straight night of heart. And uh, I thought for a second they were about to 
We were about to have a Shawn Michaels or Ric Flair de-pantsing moment there with Becky Lynch because Natalia was tugging awfully hard. See, I wouldn't mind so much. <laughs> no, no, we, we, we should be able to see some woman butt. We see, God knows we've seen plenty of Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels butt. All right, uh, that's all I'm saying. All I really want to see is if the women have as hideous a tan line as Ric Flair used to. We sh- we, we should find out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, In the end, Charlotte Flair, uh, who is not showing us if she shares a hideous tan line with her famous father, uh, the nature (laughs) boy, she is eliminated by Natalia. After uh, which, by the way, that's when the match gets good. When it's just Natalia and Charlotte, it's actually very good at that point. Um, Yeah, like as you're about to say, and no one should be surprised by that. No, no, not at all. That is a great matchup. Old Natty Neidhart, which, by the way, that's a great name, Natalia Neidhart. By the way, it is. And we, we don't we don't talk enough about that. Um, I, I just wish that one her catchphrase wasn't "best there is, best there was, best there ever will be" because that's Bret Hart's catchphrase. And two, I wish she'd act like she was Jim Neidhart's daughter and not Bret Hart's daughter because it sounds like she's Bret Hart's daughter. She's not. Fine, you're, you're the Anvil's daughter. That that's fine. Right, right. Okay. And I actually on SmackDown, SmackDown that followed up after this pay per view, she did. Come out and say, I'm a Neidhart. I'm Natalia Neidhart. And being a Neidhart means something. And that was really good because actually, in addition to the whole best there is, best there was, best there ever will be, which they've been tacking onto her lately, JBL has actually referred to her as Natalia Hart. No. Several times over the past few no. weeks. And I'm like, Will somebody please correct JBL? And then I started thinking, there's no way they're going to do that. There's no way. Because, hell, she's been in the company eight years or something like that. As Natalia Neidhart, people watch her on Total Divas with her dad. Mm -hmm. People are well aware. And I was, like, very, very afraid that because of JBL saying that, that they might be trying to, like, Trying to skew it. Pull a fast one on us and just make her a heart. We're not letting that happen. But, yeah, Natalia made it very clear that she is not only a Neidhart, she's proud to be Natalia Neidhart. And and we're proud for her, too. And speaking of great names, uh, we still have to do a segment on this show one day where we discuss the greatest names uh, in pro wrestling. Well, I've already got all the answers for that one but well, i'll save it uh, the number one uh, uh okay i won't say it I won't say well it. if we say it then people aren't gonna care what we say about all right. the segment so i start start your uh, anticipation engines dear listeners coming to you before too long before right. too long uh we're definitely gonna break down some of the greatest names right well number one's me and mike enos <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, but Italia does go over on the ladies on this one. She becomes a new number one contender to Naomi's title. At SummerSlam. And we got that wrong because I said Becky would win. You said Charlotte would win. But it doesn't matter because Natty won. We got that wrong. Yep. We definitely got that one wrong. Yeah. I really Bunch didn't of see dumb this heads. one happening. Like, I didn't see that happening. I be, only because this takes Natalia to Brooklyn. The third consecutive year that SummerSlam has been held in the Brooklyn borough of New York City. And I just didn't see Natalia being on this poster. Yeah. But there she's going to be. 
Because there she's, she's going, going to, to take on Naomi for that SmackDown Women's Championship. And good for her. I just didn't see it coming. Right, but we, we did agree uh, we did agree ABT, right? What is that? Anyone but Tamina? Yes, yeah. I think so. Okay, good. I think so. I think we even thought Lana might get this just because. But uh, yeah, ABT. Anybody but Tamina. Anyone but Tamina. Moving on to the United States Championship match. AJ Styles carrying around that U.S. title ever since he beat Kevin Owens at a WWE house show in the home of the WWE Madison Square Garden in New York City, defending it against the man he took it from, Kevin Owens, on this night in Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. We got a battleground. But not brother love. Not brother love. No. No, he's uh, he's working for GFW these days. Oh, no. What's happened? AJ is the United States champion. Kevin Owens, the new face of America, wants that belt back desperately. And on this night, he's going to try and take it. Kevin Owens is still, I will say, one of the best in-the-moment heels in the WWE or anywhere else. I mean, this dude is always in character. He's very verbal with the crowd as well as his opponent. It's believable that he just has this hatred in his heart because everything's stacked against him and all he wants to do is be the best and no one just will allow him to be the best that he knows he is. Yeah, I like that Kevin Owens seems dissatisfied and it kind of shines through in his character, like with the company, you know, little just little things he does. It's, 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 it's well done. It's well done. Yeah, um... As far as the actual wrestling in this match goes, I really want to hand it to AJ Styles here. I'm not saying for a second that AJ Styles is underappreciated or underrated. No, he is properly rated. He's properly appreciated. This guy uh, is given all the props that he deserves. But I just want to hand it to him here because, like, the striking combos that he unleashes on Kevin Owens in this match, he really lays it in. It, it's so believable. And as we watch more and more and more independent wrestling and more and more Japanese wrestling and our, and when I say our, I mean mine and yours, Darren and Perry's, the whole reference show, as our wrestling, um, uh, our cup overfloweth, uh, right? You see all levels of skill here. And too often on the independent level, you will see people who uh, are trying to execute things along the line of AJ Styles, um, you know, combination hits and kicks, you know, something from maybe a martial arts inspired gimmick or perhaps their shoot martial arts background. Right. Um, like, but, like, like a Steve Blackman type. But because it's pro wrestling, you know, they're pulling those punches and kicks and strikes a little bit. But if they're not very good at it, it ends up looking phony. Or it looks like, you know, and then especially if their opponent sells it, it becomes particularly bad looking. You find yourself really taken out of the moment. Cringing and saying, oh, like horrible. Right. Yeah. And AJ Styles 
is never guilty of that. He is the phenomenal one for a reason. Exactly. He isn't, you know, it's not just him calling himself that, which he is, <laughs> but I'm going to have to say he backs it up. It's like RVD. Like, you, like how bad is that a guy who is so confident and arrogant but can back up every single thing he says about himself? What a, yeah, what an amazing talent he is. Right. Let's talk about RVD. Uh, okay, hey, fine, back to AJ. One thing in this match, uh, it starts off kind of, I kind of noticed it early and I was okay with it, that like JBL starts in with like the United States title statistics. The lineage. Like he, like he keeps, yeah, lineage, certain other facts about it throughout the match. Um, but at one point, AJ gets Kevin Owens in the torture rack, which the spot was awesome because how often you don't see the tour, you know, Nikki Bella with, you know, the rack attack, her old finisher before her almost career ending injury was about as close as you got to seeing the torture rack, the human torture rack that Lex Luger made very famous uh, once upon a time. So it was very cool to see AJ put of all people, Kevin Owens, who you would not expect to see in that predicament in that hold. The problem is JBL then chimes in saying, you know, Lex Luger was the longest ever reigning United States champion. And at that point, the fact that AJ did a move you don't normally see him do in a match where JBL cannot stop spouting stats surrounding the title, all of us, it kind of ruined it for me. The Luger stat, like, turned the whole thing a little too gimmicky for me. And really even took the specialness of AJ performing the torture rack. Uh, it made it immediately not special. Because then it was like, it became so scripted. It was like I could all of a sudden see the blueprints, mm-hmm. you know? And it was like, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I, I hated that. It really took me out of it. Right. And it just goes to show you, you know... Stop! Stop it! Stop hitting me over the head with it. I think on most episodes of this podcast, you 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 say the phrase JBL said under like fill in the blank, and it upset me. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not surprised by this at all. Fair but, enough. Fair and, enough. And, this, and this is a great wrestling match, and AJ Styles and Kevin Owens are still great. And we don't tell you people that you guys know that. But I mean, me personally, this feud isn't doing it for me anymore. I want to see them go fight other people now. Um, and I, I think I said that last time as well um but anyway i mean it's it's a it's it's a great match yeah great wrestlers yeah yeah it's got an interesting finish i thought you know the ref is dazed. oh yeah yeah the ref is dazed aj goes for the calf crusher uh then kevin owens reverses it into a cross face then aj reverses that into a cross face and then owens pulls him back and like rolls him over owens is actually pinning aj in a bridge while AJ still has the crossface applied on Owens. But because AJ's shoulders hit the mat in such a way, one, two, three, pinfall, Owens is your winner and recaptures his United States Championship. And I'm sorry that you're ready for them to go somewhere else and fight somebody else and stop feuding with one another because... Not only did the fact that the belt changed hands on this night at Battleground occur two nights later on SmackDown, 
with the out-of-nowhere return of Y2J Chris Jericho, who reinserted himself immediately into the United States title scene, we get a triple threat match between Jericho, Kevin Owens, the new champion, after this match we just talked about, and AJ Styles. During which AJ wins the belt back. And so now AJ Styles is already the United States champion again. This feud isn't going anywhere. Well, we got that one wrong then. In that case, if Owens reclaimed that U.S. championship, uh, another one wrong for us. Yeesh. Yep. Yeesh. Moving on, though, to a match that we did a bit better in. That's John Cena versus Rusev in a flag match. Yeah, and uh, this one almost barely counts because how could anyone have thought for one second that Rusev would win this match? I thought for one second he might, but then... But then you thought for every other second right. that Cena would. And right. thankfully, that was your pick. Okay. And it matched my pick, and we were right. John Cena does win this match. Um, first question I have is, uh, you know, this is disrespectful, right? The flag match, because the flags are going to spend the majority of the match on the ground, which flags are not supposed to even touch the ground, and yet they're on the ground. You know, like, I, I've never seen, I've never seen a flag match before. So this was a first for me, and the idea that, uh, I don't know, it's almost like it should just be kind of like a ladder match or, you know, whatever on a pole match. You go up, you grab it, you got it, you win. You know? But the fact that you have to grab it and then run up the ramp, climb some stairs, and place it on a pedestal means those flags are spending a lot of time on the ground. They should have upped the ante on this match, you know, since they made it country versus country. They should have said the loser must denounce his country. Oh, that would have. There we go. That would have made it. That that would have meant a lot more, because then it would have been like, oh, can John Cena say like he has to denounce the United States of America, our great nation? <laughs> Rusev, who fucking loves Bulgaria, Lord Lord knows, you know. Um, I don't know. That that'd be a bit more. And said, I'm gonna put my flag over there. I'm gonna put my flag over there. You can't see me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, John Cena does win. Uh, match goes pretty much like we thought it would go what can i say right well yeah i mean, Rusev, yeah. <laughs> I mean exactly i mean rusev gets his flag first you know cena immediately takes him down uh gets you know cena gets the u.s flag um you know there's some interesting there are some interesting spots in this um uh interesting to see cena go for all of his finishers on uh rusev basically in an, i guess an effort to incapacitate him in the ring, so he has a sort of a, a clear path to victory. Um, you know, at one point, uh, Cena has Rusev in the STF, and Rusev is just tapping out, and of course, that doesn't end the match. That's not anything, yeah. Um, so eventually, he passes out, and uh, that's when Cena actually gets the U.S. flag for the first time. Um, Rusev and Cena is a good matchup to me, any way you slice it. Sure. When they feuded a couple of years ago, I was into it. You know, I'm kind of into it now. I really like Rusev, and I always have. Um, you know, they make they make a pretty good matchup. Um, this isn't the best match they've ever had. Um, I, I the the whole flag match just didn't really do much for me. Period. But 
Um, you know, there was the, the, the table spot was of course pretty cool. You know, Rusev's setting out two tables behind the U S podium. Um, but then of course we go away. The action moves away for it for a while. Probably could have went for the flag that whole time. And, uh, exactly. But, um, you know, once Cena gets to the podium, Rusev hits him with the flag stand and puts him in the accolade. Who's stand? And, um, then, uh, you know, but then Cena puts Rusev through the tables with a big F you, and uh, he plants the United States flag for the win. So, like you said, pretty much like we thought it would. Not a great match, but uh, I still like the idea of Cena and Rusev as a matchup. And uh, I still want bigger and better things for Rusev. I'm a big fan. Right. Well, it's nice to see John Cena uh, finally going over on somebody. Before we get to the penultimate match of the evening, we do get to see the Fashion X-Files. The Fashion Popo, the Fashion Police, Brizongo, the team of Fondango and Tyler Breeze. Uh, We saw that they were going to be... Lovable scamps. They are. They are. And uh, we, we saw that they were going to be sort of doing a Mulder and Scully type thing as they bounce around from one set of detectives to another. They're, they're Miami Vice, they're NYPD Blue, they're this, they're that. And uh, on this night, they are the Fashion X-Files. And the episode is entitled, The Truth is Not H. <laughs> they are going to uh, see... That's the kind of joke I like to be beat over the head with because it's hilarious. Um, so we we see Tyler and Fandango dressed up basically as Mulder and Scully with a lot of very strange, like homoerotic sexual tension between the two of them sort of playing off of the Mulder and Scully uh, sexual tension for years on the X-Files uh, while the, the boys are doing that, the Ascension arrive uh, in the, the office of Brizongo to tell them that, hey guys, it was us all along. Everything that's been happening to Brizongo has been a result of us. We are the Ascension. Yes, we are weird looking and we have face paint and we're not wrestling on this show, but here we are in our full gear and makeup. But now we're not, you know, huffing and puffing. We're talking like normal guys. Um, Fandango says, no, it was not you. It couldn't be you. And then uh, apparently the Ascension's like, yeah, you're right. It wasn't us. Um, (laughs) The lights go out. Uh, Obviously, Tyler Breeze is knocked out. The lights come back on. Fandango's like, WTF. Lights go out again. Lights come back on. And now the camera is resting on its side on the floor, and you see that both Tyler Breeze and Fandango, and I guess the cameraman, have all been knocked out by someone, and it's just a still shot with a resting camera. And the only light, I believe, is a flashlight that's on the floor, so you can barely see Fandango and Breeze. And then uh, while that sort of still scene is sitting there, all of a sudden someone starts dragging Fandango away. So you see him slowly be dragged out of frame, and then the segment ends. So I like it. I like the fact that this mystery continues. I'm glad that the Ascension are not the final boss yeah. in this uh, in this uh, storyline. It'll continue until they decide who it actually is. Because I think they're like, we don't, 
we, we, we've already pointed so many fingers, and it's not them that we don't know who's left to point a finger God, at. Please don't let this turn out like GTV. Let there be an actual ending. Wow, GTV. Wow. And also, so don't give me the not ending like GTV, and don't give me the Hornswoggle ending either. Oh, wow. It's going to be Hornswoggle, isn't it? <laughs> if we're lucky. But that penultimate match that we mentioned is up next, and Sami Zayn, the underdog from the underground, takes on Mike Kanellis with Maria Kanellis, his beautiful wife. Or, I guess, maybe Maria Kanellis with Mike Kanellis, say, yeah, her yeah. beautiful husband. There you go, there you go. Uh, but Mike Kanellis will actually be doing the wrestling here against Sami Zayn. And doing the favors. And, uh, yeah, yes, he will. Yeah. Uh, the power of love is not enough for Mike Kanellis and Maria Kanellis on this night. Sami Zayn pulls one out. He pulls out a victory that I definitely... Did not see coming. Nor did I, which means we got this one wrong. We did get it wrong, and um, I think it's because we've been watching WWE not let Sammy beat anyone, ever. Yeah. So why would he possibly defeat a debuting superstar? Something I noticed about Sami Zayn is he's a wild card. Because um, we typically, we, we got so used to him losing all the time. He's actually had a few upsets. Like, he's won a few times. Yeah, you're it's right. It's been like, holy shit, Sami Zayn won. Like, so I, maybe we should have saw that coming. I don't know. But, I mean, I, I, I looked at this like, well, Mike Canellis can't lose his first match on a pay-per-view. But that, that doesn't really mean anything. Because he, he won his first match on SmackDown against Sami Zayn. So, him losing isn't that big of a deal. Um, he, he'll, be, he'll be fine, Sami Zayn. Can always use another win because he is the underdog and has lost so many times. Uh, so, you know what? Good, good for you, Sami Zayn. And not good on us because we got that one wrong. And these guys, these these three, these two guys and the lovely Maria Canellis make for really interesting backstage segments. So oh, yeah. this is a few that's going to continue and maybe take a few twists and turns. Like I said, I hoped would happen with Ty Dillinger and Aiden English going right. forward. Maybe, maybe that's what we're looking at. Maybe we're looking at SmackDown having some really neat sort of outside-the-box long-term feuds uh, happen. It's uh, great. I'm for it. Sami Zayn fighting someone his own size is already a plus for me. <laughs> there you go. And also, uh, just, you know, new new blood like Mike Kanellis around is cool to watch. I dig Mike Kanellis. I, I'm really interested in seeing his WWE career blossom here. And, uh, you know, of course, the, the, the humor of uh, having this whole power of love gimmick and taking Maria's name and, and all that is good. And Maria, very, very sharp on the microphone. So this is a good program. Hopefully it'll continue. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this is a, an X in our column as far as the head-to-head. Head-to-head. But the only thing that can make this better would be a Punjabi prison match. And oh, that, well, you're in luck. Yay, that is the main event of the evening. It is a Punjabi prison match for the WWE SmackDown title against the champion, the modern-day Madaraja, Jinder Mahal. He takes on Randy Orton. The Viper. He has horses in his shed. Oh, that one. They, uh, they comfort him. They talk to him. I, I hate that theme so much. Entrance music means so much to me. So when someone has had just awful entrance music forever. <laughs> like Orton, I've never liked his music. Uh, 
Dolph Ziggler. I've never liked his music. Uh, the well, Miz. He's, he's here to show. The I world. never liked his music. I, just, I wish they would just get better music. And oh yeah, well, I've said before, the Miz needs to come out to "Hate Me Now" mm-hmm. by Nas. The best moment of the Miz's entire WWE career was the promo package before his entrance at WrestleMania 27, where he entered as champion and left as champion, defeating John Cena that night. Well, Nas could use the royalty checks, so hopefully he does uh, adopt that theme. Orton, though, he needs... Jinder Mahal, actually, though, good music. I like Jinder Mahal's sure. his theme. Well, a little on the nose as far as, you know, nationality and all that stuff. But, I mean, that kind of is his gimmick. So, uh, And I've, I've always said in the show, like, where you're from is not your gimmick. You know, so. But anyway, uh, it works Jinder Mahal because, the, you know, the whole modern day Maharaja. Anyway, uh, so we have a Punjabi prison match, which is different from any typical match. It is basically a double cage made of bamboo, more or less. The object is to completely escape out of the Punjabi prison, uh, which is no easy feat. No, there are four doors on the inner cage of the two cages. You have to call for the referee to open one of these sliding doors. Uh, And as soon as you call for it to be opened, it remains open for only 60 seconds and then is locked, essentially, forever. And so there's basically, you have four opportunities. Uh, I kind of like that. That's interesting. After that, I guess you have to climb out. And then once you're outside of that cage, you do have to climb out of the second larger uh, cage made out of bamboo uh, to the outside to the floor for victory. So it's basically a double cage match, but uh, the, the, the shape as well as the fact that it's made of bamboo, it's a very, very... Cool sight. The best part of the match is it's not confusing at all. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the Punjabi Prison match. I think this is only the third one, if I'm correct. Uh, so it also is It's a unique match uh, as far as WWE goes. They haven't done it to death. and um, But I don't know. And then I, the, I, I, the, I, the road crew appreciates that as well. Like, Got to build the goddamn Punjabi prison. Yeah. Sorry, man. hon. I'm not coming home tonight to, to see you. Or the next many nights. <laughs> I have to somehow wrap this twine around bamboo. Tell little Timmy I love him and kiss him goodnight. As we see early in the night, the Singh brothers are apologetic to uh, their master, Jinder Mahal. Uh, I guess for lack of a better term. He's their master. And uh, so they say, you know, I'm sorry, we won't be able to help you. Jinder Mahal is basically like, it's cool. I got it. No big deal. (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm only going to ruin Randy Orton uh, again and again and again. And uh, basically he does. Uh, But of course, that means that the Singh brothers are very much involved. Of course. Uh, they, They come out. They take some pretty wicked bumps. Quite a huge bump off of the Punjabi prison through a table for one of the Singh brothers. And uh, they are in the... I mean, they're getting paid for bumping. That's for sure. I hope, you know, like little Spike Dudley said once upon a time, I hope that the Singh brothers love to bump. Because if they don't, (laughs) then they probably hate their lives. Because as long as Randy Orton's around... 
He is sending those guys to bump city. He's trying his best to kill these two men. He most definitely is. All right, so I think no one saw the end of this match coming, or maybe everyone did. I didn't, because I never thought we would see the great Kali ever again. And yet... Did you think, or did you hope? (laughs) Both. Okay. Both of those things. However, Randy Orton looked as though he may win this match as he climbed the inside of the outer cage in an effort to defeat... Jinder Mahal and capture the WWE Championship but oh no the great Kali comes from the back partially climbs up the Punjabi prison cage himself puts his hand around the throat of Randy Orton and immobilizes him while Jinder simply climbs up and out of the cage for the victory and so with the help of his own personal giant and fellow Indian, Jinder Mahal retains the WWE Championship. Which is actually a good move for WWE, um, considering that the Singh brothers are technically his bodyguards, even though they are half the size he is. <laughs> right. So to have the great Kali, who is bigger than Jinder Mahal, who's already a big guy, um, that that's smart, I think. To actually have someone... Because the Singh brothers defending Jinder Mahal is a joke... Cause, right. Because Randy Orton just basically throws them into the stratosphere. It's exactly the same thing they did with J&J Security a few years ago. Whether they were defending Randy Orton right. or Seth Rollins or Kane. You know, the the teeny tiny Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury were a joke. Right. Uh, uh, and I mean, obviously that's deliberate. But like you said, speaking to your point, you're absolutely right. The great Kali, however... As one more weapon in the arsenal of the modern day Maharaja. Yeah. Uh, is one that uh, you can count on. Next step, put uh, Great Kali in a suit so he matches everyone else. Right. And they will. Yeah. I think they will. Um, good, good luck. Like I said, <laughs> good, I, good luck, Taylor, who uh, has to make that suit. <laughs> I've <laughs> thought and hoped Kali would never be back on WWE television. <laughs> I was not a fan. I was never a fan. Hey, hey. This is as close as I will ever come to being okay with the great Kali. Because I am okay with it. Because now, now there's just a little bit. He's been away long enough. No, it's not even that. that. that it's just a little bit of nostalgia. No, no. Because I'm not nostalgic for him. It would only be nostalgia if I, if I had ever liked him. But I never did. What if Eugene came back? Oh, I was a big fan of Eugene, so I would love it. Okay. Okay, good. All right, all right, all right. Um, That radio silence, dear listeners, was because Perry definitely did not expect that to be my answer. No, I was getting ready to destroy you with your own logic, but God damn you, of course you loved Eugene. Of course I loved Eugene. That's great. Eugene was one of the best characters of this century. Totally fair, totally fair. You fired. (laughs) But no... Kali being back is okay because I certainly don't think they're, we're about to see him, you know, wrestling every week. We don't have to worry about them putting the belt on him. You know, him being an accessory to Jinder Mahal, I like it. I, I That's what I, I agree with that also, yes. Okay, good, 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 good. good. But Jinder Mahal leaves Philadelphia as the WWE champion 
still. And unless they pull a fast one on us, here we are only three weeks away from SummerSlam in Brooklyn, New York. And Jinder Mahal is taking that WWE Championship to defend it there in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. SummerSlam 2017. Absolutely. And that was Battleground, where we went four and four. Yeah, we tied, though. Hey, <laughs> we win. Winners, winners. Uh, so uh, go us. Did you like Battleground? I did. Did you like Battleground, listeners? Let us know. There's a lot of ways you can let us know. Check us out on social media. Check us out on Twitter. At Refn Show Podcast. That's R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Find us on Facebook. Like and share. It's always fun. Uh, send us an email if you want at thewholereferencshow at gmail.com. T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E. R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com. Or find us on Instagram. The Whole Refn Show. T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E-R-E-F-N. S-H-O-W. Please engage us in the conversation on Instagram, just like you have been doing. We love talking to you on there as we discuss the photos that we share and all our wonderful thoughts. Thanks for being fans of The Whole Refn Show. Absolutely. Look us up on social media. Seek us out. And while you're at it, seek out Fest Wrestling as well. Um, hope you enjoyed our review of Christmas in July. We know we enjoyed the hell out of that show. And uh, we'll be talking uh, all about the next one soon enough. It is coming up in September. Uh, that's Fest Wrestling. Find them. Seek them out, man. And uh, that's it for now, folks. We're going to leave you here. And we're going to see you again next week, where my name will still be Perry Smith. And hopefully my name will still be Darren Beasley. And hopefully we'll still be the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole Refn Show. Goodbye.